What's up, guys? My name is Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon NBA on Twitter. What you're about to hear is the very first live edition of the Red Ace News Podcast recorded using Twitter Spaces. So I did not have time to edit this entire podcast because it was two and a half hours. But uh, I just went ahead and uploaded the entire raw audio file. So there may be some moments of dead silence, uh, some moments where... There's some swearing, not much, but it's there. Uh, I could not edit it out as I normally do, and the audio quality isn't as up to normal as like up to my standards, I would say, but it's still pretty good. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the show. It's like two and a half hours, so we put a lot of work into it. Uh, Adam, Kelly, uh, Ali Khan, uh, they were all great. Uh, the listeners were all great at getting in questions, so yeah, hope you guys enjoy. I guess we should start some sort of introduction. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Sol Monley. I cover the Houston Rockets for Clutch Points. We are going to be talking about the upcoming NBA trade deadline and more specifically, everything that pertains to the Rockets. We have an excellent panel today, starting with the guy who pitched me this idea a while back, Ali Khan Vijani of The Athletic. How you doing, man? Hey, Solomon. Nice to be here. Adam Spolan is Brooke 610. Adam, are you ready to piss more Rockets fans off today? It seems to be my specialty, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to do it. But um, we're gonna have fun with this. Uh, hopefully, we can be informative and entertaining at the same time. And I think that you guys will will really enjoy this. Um, this is gonna be a good conversation. This will basically be um, basically the same conversation that we had in the Toyota Center parking lot after the game on on Wednesday night. So uh, I think you guys will enjoy this. I'll, sure. I'll say I'll say this. Um, the Salman, myself, Adam, Kelly, and just a few others will come in later. We oftentimes, after games, we'll just sit down and have conversations. So the way we're going to be talking to you all today, or with you all today, actually, since it's going to be really interactive, is the same that we talk after games. So we're, we're hoping that this gives you some insight into um, our friendship and the chemistry that we have, um, you know, covering the Rockets. So thanks for, thanks for tuning in on a, on a, a Monday evening. And, and real quick too, uh, I I wrote something today, just you know, just kind of leading up into this, um, the four teams that I think would be uh, the basically the four most obvious teams that should be in play for Eric Gordon. So I just tweeted that out. If you want to take a look at that, then take a look at it. But yeah, that's that's kind of how we'll start with this. And you know, we we, we do want to hear from y'all as well. So this is certainly going to be uh, interactive. We want to hear from as many of you as we can get to. We're probably going to go for a couple hours, so we won't keep you all night. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, Kelly Eco of The Athletic, he will be joining on. He's on a call right now. Uh, it's the trade deadline. I imagine the man's really busy right now. So he will come on as soon as he's done with that call. But I'm pretty excited, guys. Like, come this summer, I've hosted the show for like seven years, and I've never done like a live episode. So this is like a new experience for me. If anything goes wrong, blame Alikon. By the, like, I, by the way, Alikon, I got to give you credit. Like, not only is this a great idea, but by naming the show Red Nation Noobs, you found a way to get out of hosting because you were originally supposed to host and be solve yourself of all responsibility. If we screw up tonight, like if it's really next level thinking for, for me, like, so don't worry, I'll find a way to shift the blame to you. If there's a problem. 
All right, fine. All right, that's that's fair. I see how it is, but it's okay. So no, no, I just, I just, I think it was really clever. You know, you you came up to me, he's like, hey, how about we name the show Red Nation Dupes? So like, it's like, okay, I see what this guy's doing. I see right through what you're trying to do, but it's okay. It's okay. He's a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> you know, someone so, so has known me since we were a little kid, so he knows he knows my uh, tricks really well. Um, <laughs> right, he he saw right through me. Yeah, it's not it's not slick. It's not slick. So real quick, let's start with the let's start with the league as a whole. Just looking at the landscape and all the trades that have already happened. What what kind of deadline do you expect for the NBA going into Thursday? I'll go first, and you guys can jump in whenever you want. I think it's going to be pretty busy because we've had a lot of movement thus far. And there's just a lot of tension that needs to be alleviated. I think the Pacers are kind of tipping their hand as to what they're going to do. Like, they're basically what Orlando was last year, right? They're blowing it up. They want to get a top pick in this draft. They're the 13th seed in the East right now. They just traded Karis LeVert. And you know they want to move off at least one of Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis before 2 p.m. on Thursday. And you got other sellers like the Rockets with Eric Gordon, the Pistons with, like, Jeremy Grant, and, like, the Kings with, like, Harrison Barnes. Like, Portland could even sell, like, Robert Covington if they wanted to. My one worry is I think teams are, like, hoarding their first-round picks like crazy right now. Like, you look at last deadline, and you could have gotten a pretty good player with just two second-round picks. Like, the only first-rounders that were moved were in the Vucevic and the Harden trades. And the Harden trade happened well before the deadline. But with all that being said, I still think it's going to be active. Like, I, I know people are, there's a worry that, oh, the play-in tournament is going to, like, make the, the trade deadline less of a thing. But I do think it's still going to be a pretty active deadline because there's a lot of tension that needs to be alleviated. Where do you, where do you guys fall in on this? Um, I, I guess I'll go first. Um, I think it'll be busy, and I think the difference between this deadline and maybe some deadlines of the past is that you've got some high-level names that are being thrown in there. And I think you've seen uh, there's some steam picked up on may- maybe C.J. McCollum moving. Obviously, you just mentioned Sabonis and Turner from Indiana. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Harden and Simmons. So it does feel like you have bigger names in play uh, at this deadline than you did last year. I mean, I, I don't I – mean, obviously, Vucevic was was a big name. And then, like, after that, it was Oladipo, who were basically the two big the, – the big names who got moved last year. So I, I do think that you're going to just have – the bigger names they seem to be in play right now and i think that's what makes this deadline a little bit different than some that you've had in the past yeah i i I agree as well there's a lot of conversation going a lot of posturing at this point you don't until you get to around tuesday or wednesday do you see teams starting to see a little bit more active more aggressive with them um with the offers they make um i know the rockets you know um it's been reported that you know they they have a few offers on the table already for Eric Gordon. I think the Karis Levert deal especially kind of gives you a a framework or just just an idea of kind of what that trade would would look like. And so now that teams are starting to see what the price is, and um, for a guy like Eric Gordon, they're starting to see other moves being made. I think you're going to start seeing this kind of the the, the ball is going to start rolling uh, on that as well. So. I think it's going to be a really exciting next few days. Um, I'm, I'm eager to see what teams like Phoenix, um, what the Lakers do as well. I, I, I do think ultimately the Lakers will trade that 2027 first-round pick. The way LeBron is playing right now, and if AD stays healthy for them, you have to go all in on this year. I mean, you can't waste a year where LeBron is playing as efficiently as he is. Does that allow the Rockets to dangle Eric Gordon even more to get a pick like that from L.A.? Um, I think, you know, Phoenix, obviously a late first round team, 
they would obviously like to make some upgrades if they can with campaign or things like that. Can they get a guy like Eric Gordon as well? So this is from a Rockets perspective, especially it's going to be a lot of fun looking at how these contenders nationally, especially now with the play and a lot of these teams want to get in um, the Rockets, even beyond that Indiana trade with Cleveland have a lot of opportunities and well, I'm eager to see kind of what happens these next few days with them. Yeah, and we're going to get into obviously the two big names with Gordon and and Christian and Christian Wood, but those aren't the only possibilities that they have of guys who could get moved by Thursday. I mean, I, I think guys guys at the end of the roster are also guys to just to keep an eye on, uh, just because they might fill a role on another team. Uh, so, and we'll get into that. Um, over the course of the next couple of hours, so so stick around for that. If you go, so the way kind of that we're going to do this is uh, once we get on to once we really get started, we'll talk about Gordon. We'll, we'll do Eric Gordon, and then if you want, if you have something to say about Eric Gordon, put in a request. We'll get to a couple of you, and then we'll move to Wood, and, and we'll do the same thing. So we'll kind of break this off into segments. We'll talk amongst the three or four of us. And then we'll start bringing in uh, some of the listeners and you guys can get in and, and we'll kind of play off of that. So that's kind of, I think, how we're going to do this, at least in the beginning. We'll see if, if things change as we move along, though. I do want to wait until Kelly gets in before we talk about Gordon. So can we talk about Wood first? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk Christian Wood first, because I think this will end up being a pretty short conversation. I've changed my stance on this, looking at how undervalued uh, sorry, excuse me, undervalued he is by the open market, I would no longer trade Wood because it seems like the best proposed trades I've seen out there is like one first-round pick in the 20s. And if I'm Houston, even though I don't see him as part of their long-term future, I would personally hold on to him until the summer. Like, where do you guys stand on this? Do you agree that he probably doesn't get moved to the deadline? I've mentioned this on the pod with you, Salman, on previous Red Nation News pod. I just don't see him getting moved. Um, by the deadline just makes more sense to me for them to wait until the off season. Um, when you're getting into that conversation for an extension, you have, you have the known draft capital out there of who has what pick, um, which teams are looking for a big, what the free agency landscape will look like. I think the draft has always been more likely for a potential Christian Wood trade. And also now for their second half of the season, and we're starting to see it more, you're getting more and more data to how well Christian can play alongside a guy who's going to continue to get every opportunity to be your lead ball handler and point guard of the future in Kevin Porter Jr., your second overall pick in Jalen Green, and then a guy who a lot of Rockets fans obviously like, a lot of the coaches obviously like, and, and they're trying to play them together more in Alper and Shangun. Um, so for me, I think it makes more sense for them to stay put with Christian Wood. Obviously, if you get blown away, and you, you can get some good assets for him. You make the deal, but I just don't think they're going to get what they envision his value being in terms of a return until the offseason. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I just don't know the teams that are really out there that would be in play for him. And I think Miami had been mentioned as a team uh, that would possibly have some interest. But I, I don't know. Do you want to take on the last four years of the Duncan Robinson contract, that doesn't seem to be a, a good a good start to any sort of a package for Wood. So uh, I'm kind of with Ali Khan there, and you know, Salman, you've really you really have changed your tune on this because you thought that he should uh, he thought that he should have been traded, you know, months ago, basically. So 
Um, I, I do think that they, first of all, I, I think that, and Ali Khan, I'd be curious what you think. I, I think that he's such a unique talent that you kind of have to see what you have with him. And remember, they put a lot into him. They they went and they took a risk on him and they gave him long-term money where really no other team was really necessarily looking to do. And they caught some heat for it uh, nationally because he was a guy who had never really done anything in the league and had bounced around from team to team to team to team. And it really took him a long time to find his footing. And I think that, you know, they thought that he was going to be a big part of the Harden team. And they thought that he could really help push the Harden team over the top before Harden decided that this wasn't for him. Um, I, I just think he's such a unique talent that you have to, to let that build a little bit and see what you've got and be a little bit patient with it, especially with this group being as young as it is. And the one thing about Wood, and I think you're going to see this over the next couple of months, I think that eventually they'll start to find their footing with him and Shingun together. Uh, I, I talked to Steven Silas about this uh, after practice today where they're, they got to figure out where to get everyone set on the court at the right time, just because, you know, with Wood, he's used to being in a certain spot and Shingun is used to being in a certain spot and they've got to figure out how that mix works. So I, I do think that they'll wind up keeping Wood again, unless they get blown away with some sort of an offer, which I don't think is out there right now. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's like the only teams that might be looking to trade for center right now is like Charlotte. Like maybe Toronto. Toronto might be looking to trade center. They've been they've been starting that weird three wing lineup at and basically had no center this entire season. So I don't see them trading for Christian Wood. And I'm looking, I just don't see it. Like that that's kind of why I changed my tune on it. Like I, I don't think there's much I don't think you're gonna get much if you move him right now. Like I just think if you're gonna move him make it worth it don't get ripped off like the whole point of trading someone that uh that good is you know you're potentially getting pretty good value and i thought maybe six months ago you might have gotten pretty good value not now right now like i'm looking at it what 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 does miami have to attach to duncan robinson like they've traded a lot of their picks i mean they just traded for kyle lowry this summer i don't know if they have anything that of value for i mean you pretty much have to ask for swaps like multiple swaps at that point and i'm not sure if houston would do that yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think so either. When, when it when it comes to Wood, Adam, when you're just talking about the whole Shingun thing. Casales has talked about it in his last few games and over the course of the season. Shingun is a guy who's very aggressive when he has the ball in his hands, and it's funny because Christian Wood is the same way. He likes to be able to get the rebound, bring the ball up the floor. He's essentially their point guard. I know we label Kevin Porter Jr. as the guy who is a look is the guy who kind of gets the offense going, but you will often hear. Rockets coaches refer to Christian Wood as their point guard or point forward. Um, and when when you have that and you have another kind of offensive engine potential in Shangun, how does that pairing work? Shangun mentioned today in practice, I'm not, I'm not sure if it made the waves on Rockets Twitter because sometimes some quotes don't make the waves. But Shangun highlighted that he, he is working to become a better shooter, not only out of the post, but on the perimeter as well. And Soman, you've talked about this extensively. His shot looks good. He is somebody who can get to a get to a point where he can be a 35%, at least three-point shooter in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, I, I think so, man. I really do. Like, my original comp for him coming out of the draft, because I liked his jump shot so much, and this kind of sounds crazy now because it, the comparison is completely wrong. But the original comparison I made for him because of how, how much I liked his jump shot and his touch around the basket was Kevin Love. And I don't think he'll ever get to that point as a shooter, but I don't see any reason he can't get to 35% eventually in his career. I mean, he, the shot looks good. I, the only problem is he hesitates. 
he gets a lot of open looks and sometimes he'll just you know pass it up or he'll go for a dribble handoff instead and like he needs to convert that into a jump shot that's something the rockets coaching staff is working really hard on drilling into his head yeah and yeah. he he said remember yesterday i believe he took six shots yesterday five of them were threes and like ali khan said he's that's something that he's really worked on it and he's he even said he's a lot more confident in that shot uh than he was before the season started and then silas said after practice that not only do they think that he can be a 35% guy from behind the three-point line, but they think he can get into the high 30s. So they certainly think that there's a lot of upside uh, for him with that shot. So I do think that, um, that that's why I think that you're going to see that pairing grow a little bit more over the course of this season. And who knows, if it works, then maybe they go, go, they go into it next year as well. Let's go to Kelly because he just hopped in here. Do you think Christian Wood gets traded at the deadline? Yo, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Um. No, I don't think so. Um, What's his market value right now? Like, is it is it just rock bottom? No, is it's not, like it's how not we're rock talking? bottom. So naturally, people think because of the whole um, incident earlier in the season that his, his value is tanked. But around the league, it's pretty clear what his value is. It's just that for Christian Wood, it's always been about can he reach that next level? Can he can he do the things off the floor to show that he can be an all-star, can he be, you know, a dominant force of an offensive system, can he be, you know, a team guy, and when you look at his value and what teams have tried to get for him, you know, it's typically, you know, like a, a starter quality level player, you know, possibly a late first, but the Rockets, unless they get an offer that really, you know, like, wows them, I think the way they're approaching this, this deadline is... You know, they're not in a rush to make moves. Um, obviously, everyone wants to move Eric Gordon and stuff like that. And and guys like Tyson, they would lava. But as far as I understand with Wood, unless they get something that's just, you know, going to say, you know, they have to move this guy, then I think they're fine hanging around. And as you've seen now, Stephen Silas wants to see what he can do with Wood and Al Pete on the floor together. Um, I think the fans are happy about that. But um, in terms of his value, it's pretty... It wasn't tanked by, you know, the off the that makes sense. And we and, see your request. We're going to get to you in a second. I just want to say one more thing before we get to that. Adam, you're in, you're in charge of this, by the way, because I'm terrible with the tech. Um, so I do think the fact that Indiana's tearing it down is going to hurt Christian Wood's value, like, significantly, because they're obviously going to move at least one of Turner or Sabonis. And if one of those two are moved, like, then there's probably no market for Christian Wood at that point. And I, I do think, just to kind of piggyback on something that Kelly said, the big thing for Wood moving forward is consistency. Like we see him show flashes of it, of because he, I, I can't tell you how many times he said that he thinks that he's an all star and he thinks that he can be a franchise type guy, but he's got to be able to do it night in, night out. And this is the one thing for him. This is essentially his first full NBA season. Where you look, the one year in Detroit got cut short. Last year he was hurt all year. So this is really his first 82-game NBA season where he's been healthy and been on a team. And he's also on a team for a second straight year for the first time in his career. So you're starting to see him get a little bit of consistency with his situation. Now it's about him being a little bit more consistent on the floor and doing it night in and night out. And taking care of all the off-court stuff, like Kelly said as well. So I do think that you're seeing him get a little bit better with that, but that's really where he's also a work in progress. So we're going to open it up for a couple people. We'll we'll, we'll focus right now on Wood, um, and then we'll move on to Gordon uh, in a couple minutes. So let's go with uh, KISM. Um, I have no idea how to, to get people up on the request line. So... Um, 
I got it. I got it. I got it. You know how to do it? Yeah, I got it. Okay. You ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, man. I heard I heard that wood talking. I had I had to jump in you. Because in our spaces we talk we talk about wood endlessly. And then I think we we, we probably the same way as as uh it's uh, a sound in there, so I'm glad he circled back around. Because it kind of sounded like y'all was about to imply that uh, that he was changing up on Wood because Wood have shown something, like, good. And to me, like, I've always said, I was the same way, like, since the incident, I, t- I basically thought we was going to just keep him as well because what are you going to get for him now? Like, because so, so we just need to really just hone in on why they wouldn't trade him. It's because he it's because he got bad value. He got bad value because he's a simple player. And 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 then, and then has things that's on the court that a contending team wouldn't want to trade for. That's all. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason this guy bounced around the league for so long before finally finding a spot with Detroit and then eventually Houston, right? Like there was some character issues that existed beforehand. So yeah, I I, I agree. I think I think that probably it, it highlighted more of those character issues. That incident is that what we're going to call it now? Is it just the incident? It's the incident, right? That's all well, got. There are multiple. There are a couple incidents that night. So <laughs> there, there's like incident A and incident B. So I think you got to specify. Are, are we not talking about the the bad defense incidents that happen pretty often? Yeah, There's also the. I, I don't mean to pile on on Wood. He randomly like he'll bring the ball up. And just not have any idea what to do with it. And there are plays where, like, he'll just take a step back three when there's like eleven shots left, eleven seconds left on the shot clock, and it's just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, are you just, are you are you playing for the win? Or are you playing for the glory? It's just, it's just it's just weird. That's just weird. I don't know. Um, that that's just that's just you know a couple issues I have with Wood on the court. But I think he's a very good offensive player overall. Um, Adam, you want to get to the other listeners? Well, yeah, let me. He, he's a wonderful offensive player. He's uniquely talented. You don't have guys like that in the league very often. That's why you kind of have to let that play out, and that's why he's gotten as many opportunities as he has. I will say about Wood, um, he can come off as a little bit selfish on the floor, but I, I do think the one thing that, to me, teammates like him, and he comes off as a, as a really likable guy, and I do think uh, that sort of stuff does matter. Um, let's go to um, let's go to Roosh. Hang on, it's connecting. I think he's ready to go. All right, go ahead, Rich. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Thanks, guys. Uh, putting my AirPods like three seconds. I'm sorry, I'm driving with my knee. Uh, I know. Be right? careful. I hope I don't crash. All right, you can hear me. Cool. I yeah. appreciate you guys yep. letting me speak. Thanks for uh, holding the spaces. I just wanted to add on because I think everyone is pretty much right. Uh, I don't think. Christian Wood is a selfish guy necessarily, but the way it translates on the court certainly suggests that he sees the game through his own lens, meaning the game to him comes as him having the ball and what he can do with the ball. And when he doesn't have the ball, he's just kind of useless. For whatever reason, he doesn't want to pick and roll. He's really like a 6'10", 6'11", wing a lot of the time and point forward, which I don't think helps his game. I don't think he – it's nice that he can bring the ball up, but he doesn't really do anything with it. And unfortunately, as we've all kind of grown accustomed to, he's allergic to defense. Uh, he's allergic to rim protection. He can actually guard guards pretty well on the wing. He's uh, like we've seen him do pretty well on Steph Curry, for example, oddly enough. Uh, but when it comes to rim protection, he's just 
kind of reminds me of Carmelo when Carmelo was in Houston. Carmelo would go out of his way to jump out of the way uh, at the rim and just not really contest anything. And even when Christian does contest, his frame is just so thin that it doesn't work. Like we saw how he com- how he held Evan Mobley at the rim compared to Shingun coming in and being able to stonewall. I do think his value is low. I don't think it's because of the incident. Um, but I think the incident is a microcosm of his overall attitude that might scare some teams away, specifically a Toronto, because they're, you know, all about high character guys and guys that aren't question marks. A lot of Rockets fans have discussed the possibility of Wood to Golden State, which I think we all agree is now dead. Um, and note uh, a note as well is that if Toronto was going to go for any of Houston centers, I think they'd go for Daniel Tice, but that's a different discussion. But um, at the end of the day, I do think it's it's important to bring up that the hope is if he doesn't get moved at this deadline, which I'm I'm, I'm in agreement agreement, I don't think he will. Um, the hope is that he's, his bird rights will have value in the off season. So if great point, great point, I was just about to bring this yeah, up. Yeah, so, so go ahead. hopefully his bird rights will have value in the off season, so that whatever team does uh, decide to, if any team does trade for him, they'll be able to you know avoid whatever cap issues arise as a result of, you know, his deal and go over the cap. And theoretically he could put a team over the top as like a third or even fourth guy using that. Um, so I'm hoping that around draft time is when, you know, he might have some more value shoot back up. And then also maybe, you know, we get more data on him and that improves things and, and maybe they can fine tune his defense. But the last thing I'll say is that I, I do think it's a little suspect that we've waited suspect in the respect that I think it might indicate that Wood's not going anywhere that Shingun started last night and that they have now put this newfound emphasis on Shingun and Wood, you know, what they look like together, especially after Silas's comments, which, you know, directly said he was not, he did not think that was a good idea. And it's just kind of funny after whatever, 52, 53 games that like, this is now the direction for the last third of the season. So um, anyways, those are my thoughts, but yeah, thank you for letting me speak. Yeah, yeah so- I really like the point. Hold on. I, I really like the point that Roos made about the bird rights because I think that right there is the biggest case for Houston to keep Christian Wood. Let me explain. So, like, in 2023, they're obviously trying to be big players in free agency, right? They have all this money to spend, and then it just disappears right away because they have one year, and then they have to sign all these rookie extensions. And the biggest case you have to keep Christian Wood is that you can spend all that money and then go over the cap to keep him. That's the best case I've seen outlined thus far for Christian Wood. It's it's like you can it's basically spending an additional twenty million dollars or whatever it costs you to keep Wood in in salary cap space. That's basically what it is. Yeah, and the one thing too about Wood that Rich brought up the reputation around the league for him is it's not good. And um, Dwayne Casey said that before the, the Pistons signed him. Basically, Casey was like, "No, don't touch this guy. Don't don't even mess with him." Uh, I was told from from someone who works in a front office from one of his former teams. They basically called him a bad guy. Now, since he's been with the Rockets, I haven't seen that. I've seen a guy who is a good teammate and is well liked by his teammates, and the coaches really care about him. And it does seem like that he started to get it a little bit. But he's got. A, but the reputation thing is real, and that's something that he's really got to work to build up. And I do think what happened in January, that that didn't go a long ways to helping that. So that's why I do think that teams are going to be a little bit wary to give up a lot for him right now just because of the reputation that he has around the league. The talent is there. No one's ever going to deny that. But some of the reputation stuff, he's really got to improve. And that's why you really want to see – you don't necessarily want to see the growth of him as a player. I think guys know what he is. As a player at this point, you'd like to see him a little bit better defensively. I, I think that he's regressed in that area. 
um, especially at the rim. I think that uh, you saw last year they they had pretty good offenses, uh, or they excuse me, they had pretty good defenses when he was on the floor last year. But that has, that's gone backwards a little bit this year. But I do think that people again they want to see the consistency and they want to see some maturity out of him over the course you know over the last you know half of this season. Um, I also, can I add one more point before I before I back off? Yeah. So I also want to add that I think I get the I get the inclination that the value for Wood that they could receive right now, which would probably probably be a late, you know, I don't know, 2022 pick maybe, is not uh, valuable to the Rockets. And that also could carry over to the Eric Gordon discussion, which is part of what leads me to believe that neither of those guys may be on the move because I think the Rockets want later picks or picks in later drafts. Um, but yeah, anyways, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, that, that's a very fair point just because they have four first round picks on the roster this year. They will have two first round picks in next year's draft. In this year's draft, they'll have two first round picks in the 2023 draft as well. So, yeah, uh, that point is well taken. We'll do one more on Wood and then we will move on to Gordon. So, let's do. Uh, Nick, let's go, Nick. Nick. He raised his hand a couple of times. Yeah. So, Nick is up. Hang on. It's connecting. All right, Nick, you're up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to get your guys' opinion on uh, Jalen Green's growth on this season and what you guys think he's approved on the things they can prove on this offseason. Uh, I guess I can go first. Um, last game was actually pretty good. His decision-making was quicker, and I think that's probably the biggest uh, gripe I have with Green. Green. He takes a lot of time to process the game, and sometimes I feel like some, he can just go. He could just get the ball, go to the rim, make a quick decision. When he's in transition, he does that. He seems to hesitate to do that in the fast break. There was a possession last night where he caught the ball, and he could have easily just taken a regular jump shot, catch and shoot, jumper off of Kevin Porter Jr. pass. But he went in and took a strong drive to the rim, and it resulted in a, in a layup. Like that kind of stuff, I liked. I I would like him. To, I would like to see more of from him. And like you know, last night was a pretty good indication of growth. I think in that area. But it, he's still 19. It's going to take some time to pick this stuff up. Yes, yeah, Silas said this yesterday, and it kind of speaks to, to his growth. They had a uh, they had a walkthrough before the game yesterday. And, um, and this might seem like a small thing, but it's real, and it shows improvement, and it shows growth, both uh, especially on the mental side of the game. During the walkthrough yesterday, uh, when they were going over defensive stuff, he was in the right place on everything. And so that tells you how he's learning the game and how he's taking in knowledge and how he is basically getting better and more mature. And, you know, the shooting does hasn't looked good and the numbers look bad, but he's getting better in a lot of different areas. And, you know, some of the, the counting stats, you would like to see them be better, but all you're, you're just looking for improvement. And he's certainly improved over the course of the season. And that's all you can ask for someone who's 19 years old and learning how to play an NBA schedule for the first time. And he missed a month, too, which doesn't help. I think the biggest thing for for Green is that he's a gym rat. I know every day he spends about almost an hour looking at film with Rick Higgins. And one of the things that he's working on with Rick and John Lucas is how to use screens. So John Lucas has this drill where it calls over-under. And it put Dylan in different scenarios to see how he attacks those gaps, how he attacks those holes. And now you're seeing the game it translate. I think the Spurs game was a really big sign, even though they lost the game. But of just him constantly adapting to scenarios and him being able to see see a lane, pause, come back out, take another angle, you know, even if it's a simple dump off pass or a reset, those kind of things that add to a player's offensive, you know, cat, uh, offensive blend. And I think as you see over time, the last third of the year, I think you really see him apply those lessons that he's learned 
on a daily basis and then how to move forward. Because this season, obviously, you know, there's not a lot of expectations. But from a development standpoint, the fact that Jalen liked Josh Christopher, like a Shangun, the Rockets did something crazy taking four rookies, but you're seeing three of them develop in real time. And that's something that you can, I think, glean something from and point towards the future is something that you can try and do down the line for other teams. But as far as Jalen is concerned, I think he's learning how to process things quicker. And as a 19-year-old going up against grown men every night, that can be hard, especially when you have all the hype around you, all the you know, expectations from the fan base. Um, but I think you know, he's improving, so you can't ask for more than that. Yeah, and just just to piggyback off of what Kelly said, you know the 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 process is he he's clearly getting there with with the work with the coaches. They're working with him on how to finish around the rim, how to get into the contact, how to get into the body of the protector, and you're seeing that show in terms of his shooting percentage. I know people have referenced true shooting percentage on Twitter, um, in Rockets Twitter, but just to share with you guys, in ten of his last twenty games, he's shooting forty five percent or better from the field which is a very big improvement from where he was earlier in the season. He's not only getting to his spots where he wants to get her, it gets, get to better, he's also you know a lot more quicker with his decision-making. He's seeing things that weren't there previously. He had this tendency of keeping his head down, which he still does at times whenever he was running pick and roll or driving. Um, but he, he's learning to keep his head up and make those passes. So... I think more than anything, once he gets into the gym and works on getting a, getting the body, which for Steven Siles and it has mentioned many times, which is as important uh, to Jalen's green development as the skill that he's learning is to his growing into his body and his frame. I think once we have an off season of that next season, you're going to see Jalen Green execute a lot better and things that he was doing a good job of early on in the season, especially now. It just he's his frame isn't conducive to him making some of those shots around the rim as he would like. And I think as he gets into the offseason training program, comes back next season, we're going to see him making those shots, um, especially when he drives towards the rim. Yeah, I agree. The frame is going to take a while. Like It's going to take him a while to build out that body, uh, probably a couple years before he's finally in that NBA-ready mold. But I think, you know, a couple things that I want to watch with him is obviously the three-point shooting. Like, he's shooting like 30% from three. Uh, I'd like to see him get to 34% by the end of the year. I don't think that's too much. Maybe 33% if that's if 34% is being a little aggressive. I recognize there's not that many games left, so it's going to be hard for him to improve that shooting. But, like, I think one thing that really I really love about Josh Christopher is he's really confident and he doesn't hesitate. Like, he, he's, I'm eating a lot of crow on him. Like, I, I did not expect him to be this good in his first year. He's really surprising me. And I just love the dude's swagger as a basketball player. I'd like Green to have more of that when he plays. And when he, you see that when he makes one of his, one or two of his jumpers to start a game, he seems to play more even keel and relaxed. And I think I'd like to see more of that from him throughout the year without making jumpers. You know, let's, let's see him start a game where he misses a couple of jumpers, but he still has that even keeled attitude. And so on, just to quickly, you know, go off of that. You're right. Jalen does get going. He has a lot more confidence when he makes those shots. And I would say, because a lot of Rockets fans have been complaining, why doesn't he get the ball more? He stands in the corner. Yeah, there obviously are possessions when Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood and Eric Gordon are, you know, leading the charge offensively. And you have Jalen Green kind of off, uh, off ball in that situation. But a lot of times to start the game, plays are drawn up um, for Jalen Green. They're, they're there to get him going to start. They're there to get him going on the run in transition. He's running the sidelines, or you can call it rails. And it's his job to kind of get 
you know, in, in bend the defense. And he, he's doing that. I think the confidence is, is growing for him and how he's impacting the game without the basketball. And you're seeing that whenever he does have that, when he does have the basketball um, as the game goes on. So, all right. Yeah, I, I think that he's getting better and that's not, that all, that's all you can ask for. Let's, uh, let's move on to, to Gordon. Um, just because Dude, do we want to get one more listener in to talk about green? I think about Madison, it. Madison's been waiting for a while. Do you want to call him Madison real quick? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Hang on. Thank y'all for, thank y'all for asking my question. And by the way, I uh, appreciate all y'all, man. Shout out yeah, sure. Twitter, man. Hey, thanks, right. Nick. Uh, let's see. Madison, we have called you up. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey. Um. Uh, this is. Are we still on wood? Because it kind of switched when you pulled me in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I have a wood yeah. question. Um. Uh. The last couple games, we've kind of seen Wood have a lot of tunnel vision. Um. Uh. Especially with Jalen, they've run plays for Jalen, and Wood's kind of looked him off, especially in the Cavs game. And we've seen him be uh, physically, or uh, you know, we could see Jalen get frustrated. I wanted to know: Have you guys heard anything from Silas and the team about you know issues on that front? And also, um, rumors in the trade deadline. You guys were saying there there isn't really a market for Wood, but there is a. We've heard that the biggest market is the center position uh, in the trade deadline. So is that more for like a backup center? And if a deal came centered around PJ Washington, which is who is being shopped for a center right now, uh, PG PJ Washington in a, a first, would you guys think that is something the the Rockets may consider taking? There's pretty much a team that's aggressively pursuing a center, and that's that's Charlotte, as you said, right? And, like, after that, that's where it gets tricky, right? It's like, find me the market, right? Like, there is a market. Of course, there's a, there's always going to be a market for a center, but how strong is the market? I don't think it's as strong as it was uh, for, like, Nikola Vucevic last year. I don't think you're getting that kind of return for Wood. I think the bigger market uh, is a backup center, and that's why you're seeing a team like the Timberwolves um, looking for a backup center, and that's what it makes sense for the whole, you know, Daniel Tice brigade. You know, if you want a free Tice, um, that makes sense from that angle. But as far as what is concerned and players of that ilk, I think what you'll see is teams want to be more patient, um, especially the Rockets, because like I said, they're 15 and 38. They're not in a rush to, you know, send their guys to help other teams and stuff like that, unless it's going to help the Rockets in the long haul. And I think. That's where you see them taking this approach this year. It's, it's been a bit quieter than normal. I think part of that is them trying to get used to the whole rebuilding, them realizing that even though there's not a toxic situation like the the Tucker or the Harden, you know, I think it's still something where they have to process on a daily basis. So it might be a quiet deadline, honestly. And, and one thing with Wood is like I don't think the Rockets are actively shopping him. Like I, that's that's one that's probably the biggest part of this. It's like the Rockets want to keep him. And they would only look to move him if it's a blow-me-away offer. And th that's that's why we kind of think he's not going to get moved because there's not a blow-me-away offer on the table. I, I want to just make one more quick point on Wood and Madison, your point about kind of trading for a backup versus trading for a, a starter. If, if the team trades for Christian Wood, that's a splash trade for them because Christian Wood would then be put as a starting big man for them. Now, it's also going to come down to what is their defensive personnel like. You see with Houston, the way they struggle at the point of attack, it always funnels towards Christian if they're playing drop. Or if they're switching, 
the back line has to be there. And Christian has struggled in those types of situations this season. He was much better last season when he was, a, you know, he, he, he took on that challenge last season of being that vocal communicator, especially after PJ was traded, kind of calling out the coverages that he wanted his teammates to run defensively. This season, it's, it's been a, it's been a massive struggle. He's only in the 40th percentile in, in terms of defending pick and roll. Isolation continues to be a strength. But if he does get traded, is the team he's going to just going to be an isolation team? Are they going to depend on him to be a defensive rebounder, which means he has to be in drop? What are his strengths and what can is he going to go to a team potentially that's going to maximize those? So if I'm an opposing team, I'm looking at that as well. Is is Christian Wood going to make a difference for me? Yes, he will offensively, but is he really going to make a difference for me defensively if I don't already have defensive personnel there to support him and back him up? I want to bring one question up to y'all because this is something that Madison asked and I I don't know how to answer it. And I've seen this get asked a lot and and seen it get mentioned a lot over, you know, the last few weeks. Does Woods presence on the roster, does Woods presence on the floor, does that hurt Jalen Green? To me, it doesn't just because we've seen Green improve over the course of the season. But I'm going to put that question to, to you three. Do you believe that Woods presence hurts Green's improvement or hurts his development in what sense because he's still getting usage like i say i i I don't agree with this notion that anybody on the roster is hurting Jalen green's development like he has a pretty decent usage rate he's getting his shots up the problem is he's just not a strong enough ball handler to be a primary initiator he's more of a secondary guy He, he does most of his work off the ball and i think that's fine his first season that's okay for him to get his reps like that i don't i don't really see a need for him to get many more isolation reps and you know for with the rockets this season i don't as far as anything else i think maybe where he might hurt wood is wood's not the best screener uh, i think one of the listeners mentioned that on this call <laughs> that's very fair to say yeah he's, that, he, he's not the best screener for him <laughs> 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 It's like he stands still and, and Jalen tries to go around, but it's like Christian just kind of screens the air. It doesn't screen anybody. He screens air. And Jalen's like, okay, let me back up and try to uh, try to take advantage of that way. So, so I, I, th- I think what I'll say on that, to add to that about Wood, Wood has been one, probably the biggest proponent of well, he wants Jalen to be aggressive. Said the team is better when they're aggressive. Um I think as an offensively skilled big man, at times you, you tend to, I call it the Chris Bosch effect, where you because you can do so much, sometimes you feel like you have to take over certain possessions. And you'll see at times when Jalen has the ball, if you run the high screen with, with Christian, and is anything going to just give it to Christian and get out the way. And I think at times you, you will see Jalen kind of do more with the ball in his hands when he's playing with Christian, but that goes back to the confidence thing. That goes back to the aggression thing. That goes back to, you know, just him being okay with struggling and being okay with taking those lumps as they come. I think Christian won't complain if, you know, Jalen is, is scoring 30 a game and it's, you know what I'm saying? But he's a rookie. So there's a part of Christian that wants to help him and also help the team win. Cause you got to remember Jalen's not playing one on five. This is a five on five sport. And so as much as everyone wants to see Jalen develop, um, a coaching staff has to account for everyone on the roster. So that's why you kind of see the inconsistencies at times. And over an 82-game season, you'll see ups and downs and different objectives come out, and you see them try different things like the LP and the Wood thing, like the, the Tate and the Matthews thing. And <clears throat> I think you just have to be patient and, and look at it from a macro perspective and not just focus on game 32 or game 
65, if that makes sense. And, and guys want to, and guys want to win too. And so Wood is out there, and he's competitive, and he wants to win games. And so sometimes if that that means he's going to take things into his own hands, and you just got to be patient for that and understand where he's coming from with that. But yeah, I, I thought that that was it's been a talking point that I that I see a lot. Uh, really, it, it seems like almost every game. And I just wanted to address that and just to see what you guys thought about it. Yeah, I, I guess like, like this this Rockets offense is not really conducive to a lot of like high pick and roll. Like it's not the same as when Harden was here, right? Like it's a totally different type of offense. They they like to move the ball a little bit more. They like to move off the ball a little bit more, and they don't really have a primary initiator like Harden. So like he's not going to get those same reps. And it's it's just, it's gonna it's just a different type of offense that Tyus wants to run. Um, Madison, you can speak whenever you want. <laughs> You're a speaker. <laughs> Sorry, no, I just didn't want to interrupt. Just wanted to let you guys know. I just wanted to clarify that question and kind of add a more context to it. I was, I'm, I, I don't think that anyone agrees that. I mean, anyone believes that a wood skill set is de- detrimental to Jalen's development. We're really just talking about the 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 choices he makes, um, and if he doesn't touch the ball. It's often in the first quarter, he gets kind of tunnel vision and becomes I, I, like we've we've seen them run plays for Jalen and uh, Wood just looks him off and like attacks. You know what I mean? Um, and it, and it's those type of plays. And if he doesn't get the ball ball often early in the in the game, that's when we see his defense go down a cliff. That's when we see his rebounding go down the cliff, and that's when we see a lot of the problems that stem that that we really have with with Wood. When he's engaged and getting early buckets, I think he's more willing to move his feet, play defense, give the ball up, right? But when he doesn't get that, when he when he is not established early, you can see him trying to get his and like kind of it almost feels like he's trying to get his points uh and his his stats because he's not getting enough touches. And a lot of times I think that not only hurts Jalen but the team as a whole. Like last game we seen um this awesome play where everybody was uh, driving and kicking and driving and kicking. And as soon as it hits Wood's hands, he like immediately does weird step back and takes, takes a contested three. And I, it's just a trend that I've been noticing. And that is when we start to see when he's not touching the ball, we start to see him do things that's detrimental to the team. So I just wonder, want to know if like, is this something that the team is aware of and are addressing with Wood or they just want him to be aggressive and allow him to do that, those things? If I can real quick, I, I think you. I I know what you're trying to say, Madison. Um, I've seen the clips, especially from last game um, that you're referring to, where it's like where um, Wood would get the ball and Jillian was calling for it, and then Wood kind of take advantage of the possession. The team gives green lights to the bigs, uh, Wood and Shengu, and they also give green lights to whoever has a mismatch to take advantage of that mismatch. If Wood feels like he has the mismatch and he can take advantage of it, they're going to allow him to do so. Now, are there possessions where Wood may feel like that, you know what, he wants to take a shot and get going? Yeah, that's that's part of the game where a guy like Christian, who, you know, is is the guy who the team will get the ball to in certain isolation situations or situations where he can take advantage of in space at the top of the key, they're going to do that. And so he feels like he has the freedom to do so. I don't think it's something the team has to address. It's more so that they always kind of push it Move the ball, move it side to side. Uh, I know Ryan is on the Ryan's on, on the space right now. Ryan always talks about it um, on on the call with Craig that the Rockets' offense is at its best when they play with pace and they move it side to side. 
saying that that's that's not to say that they don't do that when Christian has a bonus at the top of the key and he has a mismatch. At that point in time, he feels like that if he's being aggressive and he can get a shot, that he's going to take it. I don't really see a fault with that. I don't think that necessarily a detriment of Jalen because ultimately I understand people want Jalen to have the ball in his hands. They want him to be able to get his own shots. They want him to be able to kind of grow in that way. But at the same time, you have, you also have Christian Wood who is here and is trying to win basketball games. And if Christian feels like he has a certain aspect right now, he, he should be able to take advantage of that just because of who he is in his co And, and in terms of and where he is in, in terms of um, his ability to make shots at the perimeter and do things like that. Yeah, so one thing on, on Christian, you know, he, he's aware. You know, he's Sometimes he's honest to a fault. And you've seen, like, this season, they're trying to put him in more, I guess, playmaking responsibility. And he's not that level yet and you're seeing him have to adjust to an LP on the floor and, and I understand the way I, I heard it was when LP first came to the team you know Christian was surprised and I go he was like damn you have a bit I can do all this like he wants to play with him a lot that's kind of why they're playing him now because Wood has been behind the scenes asking to play with with LP more because he understands that he's so much of a, a quality passer and an offensive hub potentially that you want to see what you can do around him. And that's kind of why they've, they've tried this experiment again with LP and Wood. Now, where Wood struggles at times is kind of the thing of wanting to do too much at times, trying to be the initiator and the finisher. And as you can see with this Rockets offense, sometimes it's not the greatest uh, solution. So that's why things look kind of nasty at times. But to give Wood credit, he is aware of his faults and he is aware of what he can do to improve his game and how to help everyone else. So I think that's also why the Rockets, they, they like him so much because um, they know what, exactly what he can be if he can tap into himself and tap into that whole development scheme. So I think that's kind of why you want to see them hold on to him a little bit longer. Yeah, I love the point that Kelly made about uh, Christian Wong to take a backseat to Shangun when he steps into a game as a playmaker. Like, he deserves a lot of credit for that. A lot of players in that situation will feel threatened by the new younger player coming in and he doesn't he embraces it he kind of kind of takes shangun under his wing a little bit and he wants to play with them more and like that's he deserves a ton of credit for that yeah and, and one thing that is often misrepresented about wood is that oh he's just saying this to get a contract now, obviously you want if you want to be a max player you're going to talk like a max player he's he, he's definitely very vocal about that but even you know not in, when he's not in front of the microphone, he definitely expresses that to his teammates and to the team that he wants to win and he wants to win here. And he's very aggressive, very vocal with that. And so I, I, I do commend him for that, that, you know, you are in a situation where you're not necessarily winning right now, but he wants to be a part of the team where he can help change that culture. He can make and make this back into a winning program. Um, and, and you have to you have to give him credit for that. Yeah, we should probably talk about Eric Gordon. Like, I can't believe we're like, what are we, 45 <laughs> minutes in? And we, we're now just talking about Eric Gordon. He's probably the most likely player to be moved at the trade deadline from Houston's roster, and we're like now talking about him. Um, but before that, can we talk about this Cavs trade? Because it kind of juxtaposes into that. Like, So I don't know how you guys view that trade, but I don't know how else to view it other than like kind of bad news for Eric Gordon's market value because that was a logical landing spot for him like the rubio contract was just so perfect for an eric gordon trade the Cavs had all their future first round picks they had a need for a shooting guard slash small forward and 
I think it's pretty wild that we've gotten to the point where all season it was pretty much a given that Houston would trade Eric Gordon, yet here we are a few days before the buzzer, and I can't say with 100% certainty that he'll be moved. Kelly, I think we should probably start with you because you've done a lot of reporting on this, and the last time we talked about this in person, you seemed pretty confident that Gordon would remain a Houston Rocket. You actually took a bet with me and Jackson Gatlin on this. You put your money where your mouth is. Uh, is that still the case? Have you wavered <laughs> on that? Are you willing? Are you willing to adjust the bet? Has Houston wavered adjust, on the asking price? Yeah, I can adjust it more. You want to put more? <laughs> can I put more on it too? Oh yeah, yeah. Adam's called. in on this, by the way. Yeah. Jackson Gatlin and Adam and Jackson Gatlin and I have bet money against Adam and Kelly that that Air Gordon will be traded. That's kind of the backstory. We were arguing about this after a game. And I was so confident that I, I put my money where my mouth is. And Kelly, you know, he, to his credit, he was like, yeah, I'll go ahead and bet you on it. But are you still that confident? Do you really believe that Gordon is going to remain a Houston Rocket? Yeah, because when you look at the, I guess, the landscape, to make a deal like that work because of the money, it has to be a team that is, one, willing to take that risk right now as opposed to waiting, you know, another offseason when it's essentially an expiring contract because of the team option. Two, it has to be a team that realistically thinks that Eric Gordon is pushing them into title contention. Um, I can think of only a handful of teams, probably like five teams that could realistically do a deal like that. One was not the Cavs, which is why they opted for Karis LeVert. Like, Karis LeVert added to that, that core, what, them, what, at best the second round exit? You know, can you see the Cleveland in the conference finals? No, I don't think so. Um, so I think for Gordon, for Gordon's perspective, the reason why the Rockets aren't really pressed to, to send him for, I guess, 50 cents on the dollar is because, yeah, he is playing the best ball he's done in a while. But the teams that are contending right now, the, the, the likelihood of them changing between now and June, July, isn't that great. So if there is a hypothetical deal right now, there's a high chance that it could be a similar deal. It might not be the same, but it'll be, it could be a similar deal come the draft. Or you know after them, so that's why they're not really pressed to move him. And and for away from the floor, he's what they want their guys to model after. You know, part of a rebuild isn't just about playing these guys forty minutes a game. You have to be a model citizen. You, you got to be a model player, and you need guys in the locker room that they don't say anything. They they just come in, do their work, and they go home. And you have a Josh Christopher, who's a Jim Rat, a Jalen Green, who's a Jim Rat, and Al P, who wants to play all the time. Those guys love playing with and watching Eric Gordon play. So you have to look at everything in a rebuild. So there will, there will always be teams out there that play interesting and make calls and whatever. But for the Rockets, it has to be something that's like, damn, they can't turn us away to, to make a deal happen. So I, I think that's kind of why um, the Cavs went in another direction. I think that's kind of why you're seeing the teams that do want Eric, they kind of have to wait and see if, if it's actually feasible. Kelly, I have a question for you. So there's this talk about you know, John Wall. It, you know he's he's not playing, but he he's a big part of development for a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. Jalen Green. But you guys also see someone sees it, Adam sees it, Kelly. I was just wondering from your perspective, how how influential has Eric been in the development? You know, behind the scenes in the in the film room at practice with with the guys like Josh Christopher, Jalen Green, and Kevin Porter Jr. in, develop, in their development this season. So recently, you know, John Wall has been back in Miami um, with his family, and the onus is now on. 
Oh, he cut off there. Adam, you want to take his you want to take a spot? Cool work, can you hear me? Is it, is it good? Yeah, we okay. got your back. Okay, okay. so You're the good. onus has been more on guys like an Eric Gordon that can, you know, give those guys advice because they do look at him. Steven Silas says he has those 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 film sessions, the mini sessions of just the guards. And Eric is always gonna be one to point out you could have done this right or make this read. And he's been through so many playoff season, playoff campaigns, seasons to to know that if Eric is talking, you should listen. Um, he always talks about he never takes a bad shot, <laughs> which is kind of which is kind of funny. But I think the bigger picture, those guys, Jalen and Kevin and Josh, you want to put them in there, they they can learn a lot from him, and that's kind of why you see that influence. Stephen Silas puts a whole amount of trust in Eric Gordon because he understands how to be a coach on the floor, and he all he wants to do is win the game, and all he wants to do is guys to share the ball and take good shots and. That's kind of like a model NBA player in this day and age. And you want to have those guys around your team if possible. And that's what's led to him, you know, sticking around for so long. Adam, you have offered to buy me out of my bet multiple times in the last 24 hours. I'm not even sure if that's a sign of confidence or if that's a sign of, are you wavering? What is it? No, it's just me being a friend and saying, trying to save you a little (laughs) bit of money, which I think that you should welcome that and thank me for it. But if you don't want to do it, then then that's your call. Um, to the kind of piggyback on, on what Kelly said, this this got said to me last week. They noticed that when good stuff tends to happen for these young guys, Eric Gordon is usually right in the middle of it. And they think that his presence, I asked Silas about this uh, in San Francisco last month, they think that his presence just helps those guys on the floor just because he's so solid and just always so under control. And the rest of the guys feed off of that. And, there's a reason why they haven't won a game when Gordon hasn't played this season. They are, what, 0-8 at this point after they lost yesterday without him. Um, and so uh, it's just there's just such a difference. And um, he can have the ball in his hands. He can kind of stay off to the side and, and just be be a, a, a relief valve if, if things bog down a little bit. But I do think that his presence really does help them, and it's helping those guys get better. And again, I'll say the same thing that I said when we were talking about Wood, you notice all their young guys are getting better. And part of that has to do with development. Part of that has to do with experience. But I do think that having Gordon around uh, does help that. And the other thing that was said to me, and if he eventually doesn't get moved, is that they believe that if that the offers that are out there for him right now, those offers will be there this summer. Those offers will be there uh, this time next season. So like Kelly said, there's not a rush at this point to trade him because he does add some value for them on the floor right now. He does help those guys develop right now. And they know that if they do elect to trade him, that whatever they're getting offered for him uh, today, that offer will likely be there uh, in the future. And like we brought up, you got to have a team to make a trade and those teams really aren't out there. Um, the Cavs might've been a possibility. I, I think that they would have, they, they chose Levert over Gordon because Levert is 27 and Gordon is 33 and they feel like Levert is somebody who can grow with that core for, you know, the next three, four years, whereas Gordon would be gone after next season. I thought the Clippers might be a possibility. Uh, the Clippers are going to, you know, you figure that they'll have uh, Kawhi and Paul George back next season. And I think that Gordon would probably fit pretty well with that mix. But then you look at some of the other teams that are out there. I know Phoenix has been mentioned, but Phoenix has nine guys under contract next year, and if they elect to re-sign DeAndre Ayton, they are going to go way over the luxury tax. 
And Robert Sarber, assuming he's, you know, he might not own the team uh, next season, but he's going to own the team on Thursday. And it doesn't get much cheaper than Robert Sarber. So is he going to really want to go that deep into the tax for Eric Gordon? I mean, we just saw they declined a third-year option on a guy that they just took with the 10th pick in the draft. And that was because they're staring at the le- at the luxury tax. And Jalen Smith at $4.6 million next year, you basically double that, and they don't want to pay that money for Jalen Smith. So they're going to want to pay that money for Eric Gordon. I don't know the answer to that. And then you look at a team like Utah. Utah was in the tax last year. They will be in the tax this year. And by trading for Eric Gordon, they would be in the tax once again. So you're looking at a repeater tax for them. And Gordon making, what, $19 million next year, that is a heavy, heavy burden to pay for one guy. And so uh, that's another reason why I think that they would be out of the mix as well. So to me, there just aren't a whole lot of options at this point for Gordon. Yeah, so the word that Houston seems to be putting out there is that they're comfortable holding on to Eric Gordon past the deadline because of what you said, Alika, and what you kind of expanded on, uh, Adam, his professionalism, right? His quote-unquote leadership qualities and professionalism, and that if they had to choose between accepting a late first-round pick in the 20s this year or walking away, that they'd walk away. And I got to say, I call bullshit. I think what's going on is either they're getting low-ball offers with second-round picks or they already have deals with first-round picks on the table, and this is a leverage play to try to get a pick in the teens for the deadline buzzer. And I'll just say this. If there, if we, there is indeed a trade out there where they they get offered a late first round pick in 2022, and at the at the buzzer they decide to say no because we want to we want a better pick we're, we're comfortable walking away. That's kind of like borderline malpractice in my opinion. Like if they actually turn that down, if they're confronted with the first round pick for Eric Gordon and they turn that down, I think that's a big mistake because I don't think I agree I disagree with you, Adam. I don't think they're getting first this summer for Gordon because that's that's first of all that's one playoff appearance versus two if you trade for him at the deadline. I think his value takes a significant dip. He turns 34. There's no guarantee he's going to be healthy. I just, I don't, I disagree with that logic completely. Well, I, I didn't say they were going to get a first for him this summer. I'm just saying whatever offer is out there now would be out there for him next, would be out there for him this summer. And basically, I'm telling you, I don't think there's a first round pick for him right now. Hold up. Uh, before we continue, wanted to throw an open in one. We have Dacian Nicks on here from the Rockets G League team. Um, Dacian, I don't know if you uh, want to come on or not, but if you want, you got an open invite, man, uh, to talk about your experiences with the G League so far. Um, but let us know, send you a speaker request. If you want to come on, uh, feel free to do so. But someone, spell, sorry for interrupting. No, I mean, like, listen, like, I, I just think there is a market out there for Gordon. And yeah, first of all, Dacian Nix, first, if you really want to talk, I'm down to let you go ahead and talk, obviously. Um, and I think I think there are teams. Like, you mentioned Utah being, like, nervous about paying the luxury tax. Well, they have Joe Wingo sitting there, and he's, he's pretty much dead money. He's out for the season. What are they going to do with that spot? Like, I don't see a player out there that they can get for, for the Gordon that is going to help them in the playoffs significantly because I that they have a need there. Like, they, they have a competitive Western Conference up top to compete with. And they could upgrade significantly there, uh, even before Ingles got hurt. And I think they have to make a deal. I, I think you can't worry about repeater tax at that situ- at that point if you're if you're a team like that. If you're a team that good, you have to go ahead and go all in. Hey man, eighty million dollars. Eighty million dollars. And he's a known jazz killer too. So, 
<laughs> yeah, he is. He's, he's known jazz killer. <laughs> but see, the thing is, we're not talking like a six million dollar luxury tax tab. We're talking like eighty is what Eric Gordon would wind up costing them because you're a contender. You're a contender. I don't care. 80, I, I, don't care. I don't it's care. I don't care. It's not my money, but yeah, listen, you're, you're a billionaire. You're. A, I don't care. I don't stop. Stop giving these owners excuses to get out of the repeater tax. Stop it. I. I don't. I don't care. Like you have to pay when you're that good, Phoenix. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about your history. I don't care. You have to pay when you're that at le- when you're at that level. You owe it to your fan base. You owe it to your inner child because I'm sure I, at some point when you were a kid, you wanted to buy an NBA team. You wanted to compete for championships. Well, you have an NBA team now, and guess what? You're in a position to compete for championships. So go, you go ahead and 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 pay up. Like you have to. Uh, hey man, it's eighty million. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's $80 million. It's not someone's $80 million, though, so he can... Oh, it's okay. Listen, man, I, I, just, I just think we're giving, we're giving these owners too much of an excuse. I think that fan base is pressuring, pressuring ownership, and I think, you know, anybody who's interested in the NBA should be pressuring, you know, owners to pay luxury tax. And I think... You know, giving them that scapegoat of oh, they might not want to pay the luxury tax to improve their roster. I just well, they're, I, they're I, already paying it. Yeah, well, Phoenix isn't, and they should. Well, like, and I think I think that that's that's I, I disagree with that. That's Sarver, right? Yeah. So it, I, I don't care if it's Sarver. Go pay, pay luxury tax. Like 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 you're a contender. That's the second. What are you? The first seed in the Western Conference. Like, how many opportunities do you have over a twenty year period to say that? Like maybe one or two. Like, go pay the luxury tax. I'm oh, sorry, but we have we have some requests. Adam, do you want to get to these? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, hang on. Let me do. It. Let's do Zeke first. Wait, wait, Adam. We have yeah. we have Lissa on here. I I brought her up last time. She didn't get to talk. Is it okay? Oh, she my talks first. Yeah, go ahead. Hello, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yep. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for bringing me up here. Um, y'all have said a lot of really good astute points things that I've been thinking about. I just have two points that I wanted to make. Um, My first one being um, Eric Gordon. He's like our prize pony, I feel like. (laughs) He's the most valuable um, member of the team that we have. He's the only one left the 2017-2018 Rockets team. Um, I know you guys are saying that his um, value may have taken a hit due to the Cavs trade. Um, I, I did think that he would be a good fit to go to the Cavs, but instead they took Karis. You know, he's much younger, so I understand um, the the decision there. Um, but I also think that there are many teams checking on him, but that just signifies that we need to stand pat until we get a really good um, return for him. Because like you guys said, it's not just the on-court products, which he is good offensively, you know, great score off the bench, six-man, three-point shooter, as well as defense, because like you said, he's a, a jazz killer. I'm sure that Donovan Mitchell sees him, you know, in his nightmares and stuff like that. But also he is a, a consummate professional. Like since the rebuild, we have not heard any negative things from him. He's been surrounded by a bunch of kids and we haven't heard anything negative or him wanting out or him wanting to do this or wanting to do that. He's just a good overall locker room presence. And I think that's pretty invaluable to any contending team. So I'm excited to see if he is moved to the um, moved at the deadline, I would love to see him um, with the Suns with CP3. I think that would just make my heart happy um, for sentimental sentimental reasons. But um, he's very valuable, and I'm curious to see what the Rockets um, are able to do for him and when they'll move him. 
Um, that's my first point. My second point is you guys are speaking to Jalen Green's um, maybe just a lack of aggression. I think I um, echo the sentiments of a lot of Rockets fans where there is a little bit of a concern about um, Jalen's lack of aggression. Um, the past few games, we have seen him be a lot more aggressive going downhill, attacking the rim. And he's much better when he's aggressive early on, you know, not waiting so late to shoot, um, putting the ball in his hands. Do you guys think that um, it's because of a lack of confidence on his end or maybe on the, um, the coach's end or personnel, maybe just not um, wanting him to have the ball in his hands so much, wanting him to maybe learn um, before he gets the ball? Or what do you think it is with Jalen? I'm not one of the, the the fans that are giving up on him, calling him a bust or thing, uh, things like that. But it's just, just a concern why sometimes he's sitting out for, you know, the last four or five minutes of a, of a close game, we have the potential to win. That's happened multiple times this season. Um, so I'm just wondering if there is a confidence thing that's going on um, with um, Jalen Green. And if, it, if that confidence thing is shared amongst him as well as the coaching staff, or if that's just a personal thing with Jalen. Uh, I'll bring up kind of the, the crunch time thing, uh, because I, I, do, I do know that got talked about a little bit earlier in the year. But he, he sat out crunch time uh, in Utah uh, in January. And that was just more of a Garrison Matthews is making everything. We need to keep him in the game at this point. So who else are we going to take out? And you know, it was Jalen's time. But you, you saw it two nights later in Golden State. He had that really poor shooting night, but he was back out there in crunch time. And he's been there in crunch time every other game. So I, I still think there is a, a lot of belief in him. I don't think that the confidence in the organization or the coaching staff has wavered on him at all. Um, so I, I don't know if, if you guys have any other thoughts on that, but I feel like that Confidence-wise, there's there's no issues with anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a pretty confident player. It's just like I, I guess there are points where he's not as assertive in a game, but I think overall, like he he believes himself to one day be an all-star caliber player, right? He said that uh, the day he was drafted, right, for in that press conference uh, with Josh Christopher and Alperen Sengun, he he thinks of himself as a really really um, you know, a good, good NBA player potentially one day. And I think um, there's really no reason he can't be that. He has all the tools. It's just going to be a matter of putting it together. Yeah, we should get to other other guests. Okay, yeah, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening. Uh, let's do Zeke. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, if anybody knows me, I... I know how to make a joke out of anything. When I heard uh, Eric Gordon and Show Pony, there was a lot of things that went into my head, but we're not going to do that today. Um, but, uh, okay, so, like, my real question is, right, um, we're heading into the trade deadline on Thursday, and usually when there's trades to happen or may or may not happen or transactions, for, for example, right, there's a lot of parts that come into play. So what... Um, hit a light bulb in my head was more so about uh, Christian Wood and what his, uh, how he's viewed around the league. And I also thought about, you know, KPJ also in this because of the fact of what happened that day. You know, we want to call it the incident. I like to call it redacted, whatever, whatever, fit, whatever, like, you know, fits on your boat, whatever, right? My redacted? Oh, hold on. You want to call the incident redacted? It could be redacted, you know. Government likes to... You could call it whatever. Um, the point is, right, what I wanted to ask is, 
Okay, so what does the league think about our front office and what do they think about our team from a talent uh, acquisition standpoint, from a collective? Is it interesting? Because usually teams that are bad, like ours, we're the third worst team in the league. Um, it's We're usually sellers. Um, and I understand like the Eastern Conference is a little bit tight over there. So like there's some teams that may not feel the need to buy because they're close. They all think they have a chance while the Western Conference is a little bit of a different story. So I guess I'm asking a loaded question. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, Kelly, this is a great question for you. What does the rest of the league think of the Rockets front office? <laughs> um, well, I, I think the rest of the league think that they have some good people on there. It's yet to be seen if it'll actually work. I think that's what the biggest thing around the league is. A bit of skepticism because whenever you do take four rookies, um, it's kind of hard to hit on all four of them. Um, but I think the biggest thing for them, it's a bold approach. Um, I, I still think a lot of teams still look, look at Houston the way they did when Daryl Morey was here, which is kind of with, with one eye open, one eye closed, because you never know what they're going to do. They can say one thing and do another uh, uh, when it comes to anything. Um, but I still think that it's still early, if that makes sense, in the rebuild. We won't know if it were. I think Stone gave a good quote to me about that, like, because I asked him, like, how, how do other teams see this approach? And he said, I, I don't think any team is out there dying to be the Rockets, but they do understand that they have some good guys on the roster, good young pieces, and, and it's to be seen if they actually pan out. But um, it's more of a wait-and-see approach. And, and I guess the one, thing I'll, the one thing that I'll add to that, just on, on the front office itself, they were, they're kind of unknown. And I don't think a lot of people around the league really knew who Rafael Stone was before he got the job. And it's it's such a difference from Daryl Morey, who was kind of, in a sense, a celebrity GM, a guy who was was very famous when you consider most GMs of the, what, 30 presidents of basketball operations in the sport. He's probably, what, top three in terms of just being well-known and out there uh, in the public. And then you go to Rafael Stone, who really people around the league didn't know, didn't really have a history with. So I think that Rafael is learning the league and, and the league is learning Rafael at this point. And you know, this is basically a season and a half. But remember, uh, he got the job, what, November of 2020? So he, he's, he's had the job for less than 18 months. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to Rafael. As like a, I don't really know him that, that well. I, I've had limited interactions with him. But as far as the rest of the league... Um, Listen, I think the Rockets are, are operating pretty competently. Like the rebuild has been fairly well managed. There's been some hiccups, obviously. I don't just, I don't agree with all their moves. I, I think, you know, I would have probably taken Karis Levert in the Harden trade, for example. I probably would have taken Mobley over Green. But like those are like two moves over like what were like ten big decisions that they've had to make since he's taken over. Like I think on the whole, he's done a good job. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is, is how he handles. Of course, this upcoming trade deadline, how he squeezes value out of these role players that might might get moved and like how he manages the cap, obviously, because 2023 is going to be a big season for them. And, you know, I'm not sure how, how much they're going to be willing to spend this summer. I, I would suspect that they're they want to keep their powder dry. But, you know, who knows? Maybe they might be willing to spend a little bit of their mid-level exception. I personally wouldn't if I were them, but we will see. I, I think they're they're doing a decent job. I think they're doing a decent job. 
Well, you can't. You have any thoughts? Yeah, I was gonna say they they've been in the couple of moves they've had in terms of trades or just letting people go or kind of bringing people in, whatever the case may be. They've been working with the agents, um, and I think they do have you know some they they built good relationships with agents across the league and saying that Houston is willing to listen and work with you. The John Wall situation, James Harden trade, all these different things. You know they add up over time. That's kind of good karma that's on their side. Um, in, in terms of overtime, when they're working with agents in the future, teams know that, hey, you know, Rafael is willing to listen to work with me. The Rockets organization is willing to listen and work with me. I think that's only going to help their cause moving forward as they kind of get back into a situation where they can build through free agency versus right now where they're building to the draft. Yeah, we have any more guests you want to talk on that topic uh, as far as Rafael as a front office person before we get to the next topic? Um, well, let, let's let's do one more request. Let's do uh, T. Let's do F Tank. All right, you're up. Oh, my, is it me? Yeah, you're up. Uh, appreciate yeah. it, bro. I got um, two questions. On I know Osama kind of touched on the first one is, uh, what do y'all think? about the decision with Oladipo instead of LaVert and what are the implications for the franchise? And the second one is, could you uh, kind of lay out a, a timeline of when the Rockets, of the rebuild and when we should start looking to be competitive as a team? Like what years should we try to use our draft picks for um, players or how far up do we need to keep being a lottery team? And that's it. So I'll, I'll go first on that. Just let me, let me start with Oladipo. I think Oladipo was a gamble that didn't work out. And I think that they looked at it and said that Oladipo was a guy who was a, an all-NBA type player, an all-star coming off of a, of, a, of a serious injury. And I think that they were hoping that he would be healthy and that he would play well and that they would be able to flip him into something more than obviously what they got. And I don't know if they thought that they'd be able to do that with Levert, knowing that Levert had a little extra money left on his contract. So for me, I, I, I probably, I'm not sure what I would have done at that. If I were in that same position, I probably would have done the same thing, but I think that it was a gamble at that point, And they knew that they were rebuilding. And I don't think they saw Levert as somebody who would be part of the rebuild. Now, could, now obviously, um, uh, Indiana got more for Levert than the Rockets wound up getting for Oladipo. So you can say that they gambled and they just it just didn't work out. And that happens sometimes. That's going to happen over the course of a rebuild when you're trying to put things together and just in team building in general. Sometimes not everything is going to work out the way that you want it to work out. Yeah, a gamble that didn't work out is a kind of a generous way to put it. Uh, the return that, the, that Indiana got for Karis Levert kind of punctuated how bad the Oladipo part of the Harden trade was. They basically got two first-round picks because... That second round pick that they got from Houston is going to be in the early 30s. And like that's a much better return than what obviously what Houston got for, for Victor Odu, which is basically nothing. They got a first round pick swap that's not going to convert. No, no, no. They, they, they got nothing for Oladipo. Let's just be honest. They, they got right. nothing for Oladipo. Right. I mean, the only thing they have left over as far as players from that trade is Daniel Tice because they used the trade exception from Oladipo to get Tice, right? That's the only thing that, as far as player value that they got from that trade. And I, I just, I, I don't know how else to put that other than a significant blunder because uh, I, I, I would have taken Levert. I have no problem with the Jared Allen part of that trade, actually. You know, I see a lot of people who kind of talk about how 
they should have just taken both of them. I probably wouldn't have taken Jared Allen. That's a lot of money to pay, uh, especially when you're in a rebuilding situation like Houston. And in 2023, they're going to want to be a player in free agency. So I would not want to compromise that space. So I that's probably the one deviation I have from like the like the national media. I'd probably say I would I would have continued to you know trade Jared Allen away, but. As far as the Oladipo for Levert swap, I, th- I think that was a mistake. And it's look- it looks pretty clear at this point. Yeah, it happens. Uh, I- I'm sorry, I- what was your other question? Um, about, like, our timeline for the oh, rebuild. Yeah. What, yeah, what year should we... Because, you know, we have picks coming up next year. We have picks coming up in 23. And after that, it gets a little murky with the value of our pick. Um, what, how far up do we go as trying to be a lottery team, trying to be bad and when do we need to start being competitive to land those free agents when we have those ca- oh, that cap room up there. Yeah, so they have to be sorry go ahead okay yeah so obviously they're going to finish at the bottom of the league this year um but then next year i think that's when you hope to see some improvement and i'm not saying that they're going to compete for a playoff spot it's really hard to do in the west but next year is when you start to see some progress and you see them competing and you hope that you're winning a lot more games next year than you are this year and then the year after, that's when there's some pressure. And that's when some things have to start to happen. Because remember, Porter's a free agent after next year if they don't extend him uh, after the season, which I don't think that they would do. Uh, the same thing with Wood. And then you have Wall coming off your book. So you'll actually have you'll, – you'll be able to maneuver a little bit, plus you'll have all the draft picks. So uh, I, I do think that two years from now, that's when you want to see them competing for, at worst, the play-in. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. I think if you look at, like, there's two two pretty big indicators as far as their timeline. One is 2023 free agency. They have to be an attractive destination by that point, which means they have to be better next year, as Adam said. And by 2024, they start giving up picks to Oklahoma City. So they have to be good by then. So I would say you have to be attractive by next season and good by the season after that. That's their timeline. They, I think that's probably a good framework to follow. Uh, it's going to be really difficult. They're going to have to nail a lot of draft picks. Uh, I think they've done pretty decently, uh, especially, especially like the Christopher pick and the Shingun pick. They look fantastic. If they continue with that kind of track record going into the the, fall, the upcoming drafts, they're going to do a good job. But again, they uh, their young players obviously have to take significant strides and help them out and becoming attractive as well. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything both of them said. That's pretty much how I understood the timeline as well. Right, yeah, Kelly, what do you think of the timeline? Is Kelly there? I would you go to the next guest. <laughs> okay, Adam. let's let's do uh, Manan Ali. Manan, what's going on, man? Hey, Manan, what's up? Am I, am I on? Yep. Yeah. Hey. Um. Long time listener, first time guest. Um, uh, I got, I got a couple questions. One, how much do y'all think the Rockets are going to help a third team, any team outside of the Nets to help them acquire James Harden this off season, even though it might not be beneficial for the Rockets necessarily on the trade? Um, do y'all see the Rockets being a third party team coming in? What do you mean? Like, do you see them facilitating a team? For yeah, 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 basically, at? right? Like, so, for example, if the 76ers come in, um, they don't technically want to, you know, trade Ben Simmons, but what they can do is salary dump Tobias Harris to the Rockets and then open up enough cap space to then, you know, 
bring in James Harden and just outright sign him, right? There's, would you take a trade like that? Well, if I were to take a trade like that, I'd have to get significant compensation back. The motivation can't just be, uh, you know, allowing a third team to go get James Harden because that 2023 space is also very valuable. Obviously, the Nets picks are valuable, and you want and you want to try and get. And, I mean, you, if you can, you want to try to make those more valuable. But in reality, I think the best way to do that is to kind of stay away and let let things run their natural course. And I don't think taking on Tobias Harris's contract, like that's a lot of money and that's a long contract. I don't know if that's something I'd be willing to do unless I'm getting significant compensation back from Houston. I mean, I, I, I would I would say that that 2023 timeline might be too early. And I think the Rockets need to pivot from that 2023 timeline because realistically, how good do you think the Rockets are going to improve between this year and next year? enough to become a because basically next year is your audition year for any free agent to come in for the rockets right how right. much are we going to improve to come in and bring a big big time free agent to come in right well it's hard to say it really depends on how nba ready first of all the player you draft at the top of the draft next year is going to be right uh if he's as nba ready as evan mobley you're in a pretty good spot because that guy was able to contribute right away right and put you uh right into the playoffs if he's as NBA ready as Jalen Green, then you're right. It, it, it could be a pretty uh, hard task to make them an attractive destination. Um, also, it also depends on like how how many how much does Jalen Green improve uh, over the course of the summer? Uh, how does he become like a fringe All Star type in next season? Is that going to be something that you have to look forward to in 2024 instead? Uh, I don't know. I think that's that's he's a big part of their timeline and. I would probably say, yeah, it, it does look like a pretty early timeline, but that's that's kind of what they're afforded with because they other than other than that season, they're not going to have any opportunity to enter free agency. And you have to, if you're a rebuilding team, give yourself the opportunity to enter free agency at least once. You only have one opportunity to do it because, again, that money is going to expire. You're not going to be able to spend any money after you do your rookie extensions. And at that point, like you're just going to be a team that has to trade for a star or draft that star. So it, you're limiting your options to get to that championship contender spot. Yeah, I, I agree with someone. I think for me, it's all about flexibility. When you have that potential of that 2023 um, free agency class, number one, but also the fact that you can kind of choose which direction you want your team to go into. I think team building is something that we don't consider when it comes to the rebuilding process. It's not just about getting draft picks. It's not just about free agency. It's about what type of directions, you know, on the floor, do you want your team to go in? Do you want to play through two bigs? Do you want to play through pick and roll? Do you want to play spread pick and roll? Like, what What is the style of play that you think is going to help you win a championship? Yes, for the Rockets, it's about threes and layups, which and getting to the free throw line, which they're the best in the league at doing right now, even with this young roster. But in the future, do they, do they want to play through a big? Do they want to play in a specific way? Those are the questions that I think the rest of this year in terms of the data points are going to get. And for the early part of next year, I'm curious to see, because that will go a long way to deciding whether or not, you know, you know what, I mean, well, not whether or not, but what exact direction they're going to go in. And for that, I'd rather have that flexibility to make that sort, that's, that sort of decision versus getting on extra salary that goes beyond an extra two to three years on. If it's a salary where it expires that 2023 off and even if it goes in 2024, that's fine. But if you're talking about 2025, 2026, you know, it's deals that were just signed, like the Duncan Robinson deal, or even a lengthy contract like Tobias Harris. 
I will be very, very cautious in doing that just because it limits my flexibility for something that's approaching uh, in two summers. And remember, one of the attractions of the deal that they wound up making for Harden was the flexibility and knowing that they, they don't take on any extra money from that trade. And that's a big reason why they chose that deal over any other deal. Right. Well, Manon, I have a question for you. Do you actually have a deal in mind? Like, do you have a framework of a deal in mind? Not yet, because it really, it really depends on what we do. Them like this, this deadline, right? Because I don't think we clear, we have enough cap space to just um, absorb a Tobias Harris contract necessarily. It really depends on what we do this trade deadline. So no, I don't. I, I don't have like something in mind, right? Because we would outright have to absorb something. It wouldn't be. And that'd be about like 30, 33 million that we'd have to absorb, right? Like that's that's probably really hard, especially with John Wall being on the team. But I mean that right, like that all can change if you trade Wall to like the Lakers, you get Westbrook, but then you get Westbrook to take maybe seven, like you know, like twenty five percent discount on his cut, right? <laughs> if you trade, I, I know it sounds it's, but it's it's possible, right? Like it just depends on where you are after this trade deadline for you to help facilitate a trade, right? That's that's where I'm looking at. for the, yeah, One, for one other thing is they'd have to get expiring contracts back for, like, Gordon, right? Like, that that would almost yeah. certainly have to happen because then you open up that space to absorb salary as well. Yeah, here's what I'll say. Like, if they were taking on salary that was good and that they could move in future seasons, then maybe you'd be willing to do that to help facilitate a trade. But... Tobias Harris is someone that I don't think is. It, I think it's gonna be really hard to move him again, right? If if you were taking on someone that was in the fifteen to twenty million dollars a year range, that was actually like very good, that that could help a team at next year's trade deadline. You know, maybe you could you could you know swing that kind of a deal, uh, and then you know possibly get some extra stuff out of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm not married to the Tobias Harris. I just think it's a, it's not as bad as a contract considering the position we're in because his contract expires in 24, right? That just helps us move the, the deadline. But then you have to decide what you do with Christian Wood and KPJ, right? So, um, that good good insight on that. My uh, next question was, um, you're doubling up. Okay, all right, go ahead. I'm doubling up. I'm doubling up. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I want y'all's input on this one. At what this this season we put an influx of talent, right? We brought it in, we got four first round picks. At what point do we start looking at fit, right? Because I feel like, like especially if you watch the Rockets right now, they they struggle sometimes with spacing. They have that young talent, but I don't necessarily think all the parts fit. At what point do we start looking for fit as opposed to just bringing in you know young talent to mold, right? Um, I, I'd rather answer this question last. Does anybody else want to go first? I think that, I think that's a tough one to answer just because I, I do think that really good players tend to just fit together and they figure it out. And that was the big question with Harden and Paul, like, well, how are these two going to fit? There's only one basketball. And of course that worked out really well. So uh, I think that really good players just figure out how to, how to, how to play with one another and sometimes it just takes some time and i maybe it will work with with wood and shingun together um they they both have the talent to make that work but it's just going to take some time so i think that you just kind of you draft the best guys that you can 
and you let them grow together and you see how how it goes. I think that's the best way that I would approach it. Yeah, I'm I'm all about gathering as much talent as you can. Um, you can't be looking at fit this early on in the process. You have to get as much talent that you think can contribute to a winning organization. Like Manon, I'm going to ask you right now if if you were to pick one player on this roster um, that or yeah, besides Eric, uh, I guess you're probably going to say Eric Gordon. But let's say besides Eric Gordon, if you could pick one player on this roster who would be in a starting five of a contending team right now, which player would it be? Jay Shante. Okay. You would say Jay Shante would start. And I would trade him in a heartbeat. You would. Okay, I, I love so you, the way this guy thinks. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know about how he played in the starting I, I know he's a fan favorite. He plays like great defense. Dude, the offensive end, he clogs the floor and his like, you can't have a 6-4 player who play, plays in the post. That doesn't work. That'll work at the Y. That won't work, like, in the actual NBA basketball game, right? Like, you won't go into the playoffs and, you know, do that. But, you know, on a rebuilding team, that's fine for now. But I think you could kind of swindle a, you know, a desperate team. Like, maybe, let's say, the Celtics or somebody to give up a first or something like that for a Jay Sean Tate. I don't think he necessarily fits. That was that's honestly who I was thinking about this entire time. Trade him, get like a PJ Washington, do something, right? Like that's that's because like those are the kind of moves that like, hey, he's at that kind of fringe level where like you can trade him and it won't hurt if you get a younger player back, but you might necessarily but you might get a better fit of a player, which will ultimately help the development of Jalen Green out, KPJ and others, right? Yeah. I actually want to turn this into a question, but for first, I want to address your first question. I, I, I agree with the leak. I don't think you should be looking at fit right now. I think you should probably look at qualities that you want in a player, but not positionally, right? I think, you know, if you're trying to fill out, okay, this guy can be our ex, our starting X of the future, and this guy can be our starting X of the future, I probably wouldn't start doing that right now. But in terms of qualities, like, okay, look, it seems pretty clear that the Rockets need defenders and shooters, right, in the future. I would probably look at that. Like, as far as, like, when you're trying to look into the draft and the kind of players you want, those are probably the qualities I would prioritize. But as far as positions, I wouldn't do that. Um, and as far as the second question, I actually kind of want to turn this into another topic. You guys think Jay Sean Tate could actually be moved? Like, I, I would probably say Houston doesn't want to do that kind of a trade. It's a bit ambitious. and But it, it is bold. And I think they could get pretty decent return. He could, he's really cheap right now. I think in restricted free agency, he's probably going to get squeezed. He'll probably be on another cost-controlled deal. Because uh, does Jay Sean Tate have a good market? And do you think the Rockets should actually explore that market? Um, Manon, I'm going to take you off the line, by the way. You've asked three questions by, by now. Thanks, guys. Kelly, do you want to answer that first before we take a crack at it? Kelly is not here. I don't know where the hell he is. He's not here. Adam, <laughs> you want to go? <laughs> Um, I would say, I, honestly, I hadn't thought about it. Um, I would say probably not. I don't think that they would. I'm sure that they, they would listen if somebody came out there with a good offer, but no, I don't think that he would get traded. What if what if you got offered a lottery pick? What if you got offered a pick that's likely to be in the lottery? It's no uh, question. I take that. Yeah, deal. then yeah, of course you're doing that. But is that out there? Um, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I like, can't, ima I I can't imagine that, that trade would be out there. But uh, yeah, if someone's going to, if someone's going to say, We'll give you an unprotected first round pick for him. Um, who in that team has a chance of being in the lottery? Then sure, I'll take that. Well, here's no. good, what about the Pelicans? What if the Pelicans offered you a lottery a lottery t uh, pick? Because I mean, that's a that's a team that Jay Sean Tate probably fits into their timeline a little bit, and I think 
he makes them better. He fits next to Zion Williamson pretty cleanly. And I think, you know, you could probably... Zion don't play. Yeah, I know, when he does play. I'm talking about, like, obviously they're still in the planning stages of the rebuild. But, like, if they're really looking at swinging trades right now, that's a, that's not a, the worst kind of tr- trade you can make as far as the Pelicans trading for Jay Shante. Kelly, uh, we, we asked, we just asked uh, um, whether or not you believe Jay Shante <clears throat> is someone that could be moved and what his market value could look like. No. Uh, wow, I swear <laughs> guys don't want moved. What the hell? <laughs> I, I I didn't say that. We're just posing the question because the listener. Um, no, I mean I don't think so. I mean I think he. When you have a young team like the Rockets have, you can't just have a bunch of. Everybody can't be you know between the ages of nineteen and twenty one. You still need to balance out the roster, and I still you need think, adults. Yeah, and I still think Jayshon Tate's skill set. Um. If you look at this roster in a couple years down the line, and I kind of saw it yesterday, even though they lost, I kind of saw a team where they'll eventually get to a point where they'll have four guys that can create plays for others on the floor at the same time. Look at Tate, Shangoon, Porter, Green, um, and put in Christopher. I think you can still build with him on that roster. Now, obviously, he needs to become more confident with his outside shooting and um that will help with their spacing a lot, <clears throat> but no, I don't. I don't think you should be looking to, to deal with guys like that because eventually, if you keep on doing all these players, you still got to start from somewhere, and you're gonna have to get to guys that. Oh, you said keeping on dealing all these players. What players have they dealt? They yeah, well, I, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, you guys that want to see all these guys gone. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's oh, Tate, okay. there's Wood, there's you know what I'm saying. Like, I understand, like. He's still a starter. Like I don't know. I I I wouldn't I wouldn't do it this year. I don't think. I think Tate's part of their core right now. Kelly, no matter what the deal is, you wouldn't do it in your opinion. Well, no, that, that's crazy to think. I don't want to say that. What about lottery pick? We just asked that question. Would you do it? A lottery pick? Yeah. Uh, no, this class is kind of weak. So no. Unless it was, is it is it like top what top three protected? Let's say New Orleans trades you their pick. Unprotected. No. Oh, unprotected. Yeah, yeah. New Orleans trades you their pick unprotected. Are they? No, nah, because they're what? I think they're like eighteen to what? They're 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 in. They're 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 tenth right nah, now. No, I, I wouldn't. T- I wouldn't take it. No, no. They're twenty and thirty-two, eleven C in the Western Conference. Nah, right? pick is gonna be. No, nah, pick is gonna be nonsense. Kind of, I don't know. I don't know about nonsense. It's gonna not, be pretty- nonsense in the sense that this class is coming in is really weak. Like outside, like it's not. It's not anything to just throw away. It's like Tate is better than probably most guys in that in that in that come, coming class, if not all of them. Apart outside, maybe if you want to look at the potential of Chet or Ivy or uh, Paolo Banchero. But if if you're gonna move for that, it makes no sense as a team. So you can move yeah. backwards. I would do it. Like, honestly, if, like, if don't if, get. I think the biggest thing that the Rockets shouldn't do is to not get caught up in this OKC style where you're just getting picks just to get them. And then you keep hoping that they turn out somebody. You're gonna end up with because, like, if you look at the Thunder right now, I don't. Do you see them ever coming out of that mess in the next couple of years? I don't. I, I I think it's gonna be a continuous mess of maybe getting hits, and he's great, but I don't think it's gonna be a, a thing where you can see them in two years saying, "Hmm, I can see the Thunder, you know, pushing for the plane." I don't, I don't see that because I think they made a mess of. Just accumulating assets of being too okay with taking on bad money and, and getting picks in exchange. You can't do that all the time. That's what you got to stop. So, um, 
I don't think you should move Tate, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. I really disagree with you on this point because I actually do love what Sam Presti is doing in Oklahoma City. Like, it very I mean, I mean, look, on paper, it looks great, but I'm just saying, like, in, in reality, like, they've been they've been talking about OKC being in asset accumulation mode for about four years now, right? Is that fair to say? Three, uh, four yeah. years? Yeah, ever since how, they traded Westbrook, yeah. How many more years do you think they're going to go down this path? Do you, do you see them potentially making a plan, plan next season? Can you see them? Probably what's not. The, what's the urgency, though? Like, well, well, why just, do they need to make the plan? So I'm saying, are you are you going to get assets for a seven-year rebuild? That's all I'm asking. A six, seven-year. If that's your goal, then fine. But I'm saying teams don't have that kind of security. Like, Sam Presti is good where he is. But I'm saying there are other teams that don't have that kind of timeline or that kind of patience, if, if, if that makes sense. You know, it goes back to the owner. You, you have to know who you're working for. So, I don't think they have a six, seven year winner to just say, eh, just take the twenty twenty five here, take a twenty twenty six here. No, they'll be all right. And, I don't think and I, I, do that. I think Tillman is patient, but I also think Tillman wants to win sooner rather than later. Yeah, you know, I, in yeah. terms of that timeline. And yeah, Tillman, Tillman is ma- two years. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we just talked about the timeline. I, I agree with you. Like, they have a shorter timeline than Oklahoma City. Oklahoma, like Houston, has the urgency to win sooner than OKC does, but. Um, as far as just straight up trading Jay Sean Tate for a lottery pick, I don't, I don't at all think that's a crazy proposition. I'd probably do that. I mean, it depends if I'm getting bad salary back, no, but if I'm getting, you know, decent salary back, something that's not hurting me, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine you're getting bad salary back. Jay Sean Tate's too, so cheap. I, I can't imagine you're getting bad salary back in that trade, but like, I, I probably do that if New Orleans offered me that trade. Um, Alika, how about you? I mean, do, I, I don't remember if you said, if you answered that question. No, I, 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 I did say I would trade him for a lottery pick, but at the same time, I'm actually a lot more hesitant than I think you and Spo may be, just because of the fact that I think Jayshon is so important to the culture they're trying to build here. I think Kelly brings up a good point. Yeah, they like, do we really have an idea of when Oklahoma City is going to start competing? And I'm not trying to turn this into a bashing of Oklahoma City. I'm not, because I, I, I really like a lot of the players they have on their roster. Big fan of Shea Gilgis. Um, but w- when it comes down to it, y- you want to be able to establish a culture, which can also, like to your point, Solomon, in 2023, attract for agents. A guy like Jay Sean Tate, who I don't know how many times there's been a post game, uh, and we look at this, we look at the quotes because we're busy with the Rockets, and we look at the quotes later from the opposing team, and they'll somebody asks and they'll mention Jay Sean. Oh, Jay Sean's tough. Jay Sean is this. Jay Sean is that. I think Jay Sean is a guy who is making a case for himself to be. You know, a tough player, somebody who, you know, you know, is is a big part of this Rockets culture, and I don't think you can necessarily put a price on it at this point in time. Now, would I think about a lottery pick? Yes, I would, but I, I, I still, you know, I'm hesitant to pull the trigger just because of how much, how much importance he has to this team and what they're trying to build. Adam, who's been waiting the longest to talk? Uh, CJ Gray. Also, also one, one more thing. Um, you said New Orleans, right? Why would they do that? Well, I mean, he fits in their timeline. He's a pretty nice player to put in, in next to Zion. But is, is he that timeline where you get you're willing to throw in an unprotected lottery pick? I don't think so. So that's kind of. I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, if 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 they believe what you believe, which is that Jay Sean is better than what you can get in the lottery, then why wouldn't they do that? Because value, Jay Sean's kind of in the sense that his value is different to different teams. If that makes sense, like I don't think that the Pelicans would see him in the same light that the Rockets see him. In, in, in the sense that if you add him to that nucleus, 
your ones are just I, I I wouldn't I don't think that no one's ever do something like that. That's and and also, you got to pay him pretty soon too, which yeah, but also factors into that. I don't think he's going to get paid that much. I really do. I think he's going to be squeezed because, again, um, he's not shooting that well from three-point range. Um, he's He can play a, a few different positions. He's really valuable defensively, but the shooting is going to limit his ceiling as a, as someone on the market. I think he's someone that can be affordable long-term. And that's kind of why I think New Orleans should take a jab at someone like that because um, their timeline is – I mean, they have to – they have to convince Zion pretty soon that this can, this situation is something that he wants to be with long-term because, I mean, there's already been reporting that he's kind of frustrated with front office over there, and I think that's that's a nice guy to take a swing at, and I don't think it's that expensive of a price for them. Um, Adam, um, who, who was it that said, who was it that you said hadn't spoken in a while? or that CJ Gray. CJ Gray. Let's, let's, okay. let's run through some of these two. We've been talking for a long-ass time. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. I was, I was enjoying it. It was, it was, it was getting a little intense. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I'm a pretty diehard when it comes down to the Rockets, but I'm very, not, I'm very serious when it comes down to the Rockets. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. The past two years have kind of been hard being a Rockets fan to watch my team go from competing to being just can completely out of it. But yeah, I, I digress. Uh, let's. My my question is. Kind of back, kind of backdooring off of what was kind of being spoken about earlier. At some point, we got to start getting what what what's going to actually matter and what's going to fit. Jalen is kind of in the iffy stage. We don't know what he's going to be. You hope that he's going to be a top talent, but you truly don't know yet with the way that he's playing. I feel like Christian Woods should be somebody that we look at probably trade because I feel like long term he doesn't. He doesn't check all the boxes for me personally as a big man, as a stretch four. I just feel like he's not aggressive enough on the defensive end for me personally. But, yeah, uh, what are they going to do about that? Because eventually fit is going to matter sooner rather than later. And you got to get a guy like Jalen and KPJ. You got to get those guys players that they're going to actually be able to develop with soon and start to build a nucleus. Because the way that Cleveland looks right now, that should be the the model of what they want to build on because that's the perfect team to look at and build off because they're young and they play defense. And that's why I feel like Jared Allen would have been a good pickup just to get on a little bit earlier what we were talking about, what you guys were talking about. Jared Allen would have been a good fit because then you would have been able to get off Christian Wood and, and you could have probably moved Sangoon to the four and him and Sangoon could have probably worked out. But, you know, that's just me thinking. Cleveland's a good example, but remember the one thing with the Cavs. Evan Mobley is the fourth top 10 pick that they've had in a row. So remember, they took Sexton, then they took Garland, then they took Okoro, and then they took Mobley. So they've had a bunch of time to to really start their rebuild while the Rockets have had just the one top 10 pick over this stretch. So Cleveland's a good example, but Cleveland has taken basically four years to build this thing up. And I don't know if the Rockets will take four years to build it up, but that's kind of the process. And that's sort of what it takes sometimes. Completely agree with you, but that's my point. Like the Rockets don't have the same timetable as them. So that's why I think right now fit is more important. Like you should start be looking at fit as far as like next year, as far as waiting in two years, 
next year should be the year that fit starts to matter a little bit more. Because with, with Christopher being as good as he is, Sangoon being as good as he is, those guys are going to push for minutes and they're going to be playing more. And I think you should start letting them play more. And that's why I think Seawood should be traded this year before the deadline. Let's move on to the next question. Let's, let's go rapid fire with this, by the way. We have a lot of listeners that, that have questions or comments. Uh, Chris Harris. Hey, gentlemen, I appreciate the time. Um, two questions, if I can, if I may. Um, can y'all hear me before I say anything else? Yeah, you're yep. good. Okay, cool. Question number one. Um, do y'all feel like this season was a success? Because uh, I feel like there's been a lot of uh, discussion both ways. Um, so I'm curious. And also... If they open up the point, do do you feel like they'll open up the point guard point guard competition in the summer? Um, because I wonder if Jalen, not Jalen Green, excuse me, if uh, KPJ versus um, uh, Josh Christopher is a bigger um, should be a bigger discussion as far as who should start going forward. Anyway, I appreciate you guys. Love following y'all. Uh, thank you for the time. Yeah, I mean, as as far as whether or not their season is a success, I would say like. Uh, the asset management part is like to me in rebuilding a big part of seasons. So I want to see what they do with the trade deadline before I give like a definitive answer. Uh, I think I've liked what I've seen from Shangun a lot. I've liked what I've seen from Christopher a lot. I think uh, Green's been fine. I think he's been about his medium range of outcomes. I think he's been kind of exactly what ex- what was expected of him. But the problem is everybody else in his in his tier of the draft was is playing out of their mind so it's gonna look a little it's gonna look a little harsh but i think he's been overall just fine um i think on the court i I don't really have any problem with i kind of expect them to be really bad this year um but i I think i want to see what they do at the trade deadline before i give like a grade on their season as a whole what about you guys um i think the fact that basically all their guys have gotten better is all that really matters at this point. And I think that you can sit there and say, KJ Martin has gotten better. Kevin Porter Jr. has gotten better. Shingun has gotten better. Green has gotten better. Christopher has gotten better. That's Those are five key guys, really young. And I think all five guys, you can say, they have gotten better. And I think that's what matters at this point. And as long as guys are getting better, then it's a success. And, yeah. you'll, and you start putting together wins. You hope to be able to put together wins in the future. Yeah, I, I didn't expect all these young guys to come in and start playing heavy minutes in the first part of the season. Either. But yeah, and, and, and but now when we're you know heading into this trade deadline and all star break and post all star break and we're starting to see their minutes increase across the board, that's that's what I expected to see. I expected to see this gradual increase, and with this gradual increase, you're starting to see them play a lot better. You're starting to see a lot, starting to see these players see the game in a better perspective. Get give example with Jalen. There's times. Early on in the season, he would have come off the screen, and then if he didn't like what he was doing, he would step back and try to isolate. But now he's coming off the screen and using his quickness, getting inside, and trying to make a play for himself or for others. His assist numbers have gone up. Turnovers have gone down. Josh Christopher doing well defensively. He still makes mistakes, but you see him playing more aggressive. And that only that aggressive aggressiveness is not only something that, that just comes part of you know how, how he's played throughout college and now, but also comes from what he's learning. They're teaching him the fundamentals of how to close out, how to kind of navigate around screens, how to be able to be a vocal guy, help side. I mean, they're doing things, the small things, you know, in the film sessions, out on the court, in pregame warm-ups, during the shoot-around that's helping them on the court. And you're starting to see that play to fruition. It may not lead to wins, but they're starting to play these longer stretches of basketball during games, which give you this vision or insight that, you know what, these players have a lot of skill. 
and there's a lot of talent. And if they can harness this talent, this team can start getting to the right direction um, as soon as next year. And on just the other question on the point guard stuff, I think the league has shown that you need to have as many guys handle the basketball as possible. And they love Kevin Porter Jr. They absolutely love him. So I think that they see him as part of their future. Yeah. Uh, next question. <laughs> I mean, well, Lee, can you got anything to say? Yeah, look, Kevin Porter Jr. is going to get any and every chance to be the point guard of the future. Yes, Josh Christopher is there. I don't see Josh Christopher as a lead guard, not saying he can't be one. Uh, just to share with you, uh, Chris, uh, thanks for those questions. Steven Silas is starting to incorporate more plays for Josh Christopher. So when you're a young guard, obviously, and you're a young point guard, you're expected to you know help the offense get into a play. And initially, it was just one or two plays that Josh Christopher would run or know how to run. Now, Steven Silas is giving him more plays to be able to do. So when you're watching games, they're not just running the same play over and over again or same kind of action that leads to the movement. It's multiple different things going on now. So I think, yes, you know, I think Josh Christopher is growing into a better point guard. But Kevin Porter Jr. is going to get any and every opportunity. And to me, he's proven himself to be the engine of his offense. Yeah, I'm at that point with Josh Christopher where I'm like trying to be very careful about not saying something outrageous. I really like him. I really, really like him. Um, I've I remember us arguing about this in the off season. I was very high on him, so I remember our conversations about him. Yeah, he's 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 really impressed me on both ends of the floor, and that dates back to preseason. Like you start seeing a lot of this stuff, like just his ability to take over a game for a stretch and bring the Rockets into a game that they had no business being in. Like, I think that skill is so valuable. He has like a leadership quality about him. That's like hard to put, like put your finger on, but it's there. Uh, and he, you know, very confident handling the basketball, very confident going to the rim, very confident shooting the basketball. Um, his game just erase, like, like it, it's confidence. That's a, that's what his game is. It's just he just has a lot of swagger about him. Uh, that's it's hard to like put into words. And I I'm you know I just I just want to be careful. I don't want to say anything crazy. So yeah. All right, let's go, Robert Land. Robert. Hey guys, can you hear me? All right. Yeah, you're good. We got you. All right. Uh, I think I got something that might spice the conversation up a little bit. I, I know Solomon will love this question. So uh, the Rockets, uh, only a 40% chance, no matter how bad they are, that they're going to be top three in the draft um, with the lottery odds. So if the Rockets, for example, land with the fourth pick, would you trade – Jalen Green to get, say, a top three pick in this draft. And the reason that I say this is because, you know, I, I you know, I, I feel like Jalen Green defensively is is always going to be an issue. He's he's a at best a mediocre defender. He doesn't have any of the tangibles that would suggest that he could get to be a great defender. You know, he doesn't have the wingspan or the base or any of the the body build to, to be that. I mean, he's, you know, got a body of a Beal or a, or a Steph Curry or something like that. So, uh, bigs are just such a massive deal when you're trying to build a champion defense is half the battle on the court. So, you know, say in new Orleans gets the second pick in the draft and 
they're not sold on, say, Chet Holmgren is there, Jabari's already been picked, and, you know, it's basically you're at four and you go, we'll give you Jalen and Jaden Ivey, so you got your backcourt to go with uh, Zion and, and Ingram and uh, to do it the idea that, you know, if Chet Holmgren uh, turns into what you think he can defensively, obviously he's got some great offensive game as well. All of, all of a sudden, you got a guy that can escalate your you into the playoffs pretty quickly. Wait, so what's the framework of the deal? You're saying trading this year's pick, whatever the Rockets pick is, along with Jalen Green for a top three pick. Is that the framework? Yeah, if if the Rockets fall out of the, the top three, which is a pretty good chance with the, with the way the odds are set up, um, you know, would would you would you do that? Because I, you know, I. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't think Jalen Green's anywhere close to where he's going to be, obviously. I mean, obviously he's going to be a much better player, but I just don't think he's ever going to be a game changer as far as on the defensive end. And it's just really hard to be a top tier guy, that top 10 guy that can get you to a championship if you're not going to be somebody that can do it on the defensive side of the ball. And I just don't think he has any of the physical tangibles that make that you know possible really i mean athleticism is great but you know no wingspan no no width no base on him at all you know he just built he just built really skinny and you can add muscle but you know skinny is skinny yeah i would not do that trade uh, i i i think i'm probably a little higher on jalen green than you appear to be i think jalen green still has the potential to be a Zach Levine level scorer. I, I really like him. Uh, and also, I, I'm probably higher on Jaden Ivey from the way that you were talking than, than you appear to be. I, I think he's a really, really good draft uh, player, and I think uh, he has the potential to be a starting point guard in the NBA. Uh, I, I like him a lot. If he falls out of the top four and Houston's there to get it, that's, I think that's a success, successful draft. I think um, I, I would not do that, trade. That's just too much for picking this draft. Adam, could you share what Steven Silas said? I think it was pregame yesterday um, about how Jalen's been looking defensively. I think that context is important to include. Well, the, the one thing, I mean, he's been better just one-on-one uh, -on -one defense. And what, what will stick out with me for a while is the game in San Francisco when uh, he got matched up with Curry and he locked Curry down for an important possession in a close game. So that sticks out with me. And then the one thing they keep talking about how he's just getting better, just understanding where he's supposed to be. And just the one thing that Steven Silas relayed uh, before yesterday's game was that they went through their walkthrough uh, before the game yesterday. And Jalen Green knew exactly where he was supposed to be every single time, which is not easy for someone who's 19 just learning the league for the first time. So um, I, I think that he's been better defensively. Obviously, he does have to get bigger. He does have to get more physical. But I think he's been okay on that end, especially when you you know, consider what the baseline starting point was. So um, I, I'm not going to kill him off for the defense just yet. Robert, no, I, I would not do that trade either. Yeah, Robert, I'll, I'll say this. Yeah, but, I, I, I've been yeah. somebody who's you know, who's been critical of Jalen Green's defense, especially in the early part of the season. And even just a few weeks ago, I put out a tweet, got attacked for it. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's important to look at how he's playing and what positions they're putting him in. I think we have to look at the positives and, and see how that necessarily translates with a bigger body. I disagree with you on how skinny can be bad. I think it's really helping him 
in terms of screen navigation. I think he's one of the better kind of on-ball pick-and-roll defenders the team has because he's able to either fight through a screen or get over a screen, and that really helps him stay in front. Uh, um, Adam is bringing up that Golden State game. There was a play against Golden State where he navigated around the screen. He, he got on the defender, I mean, on the ball handler's back a little bit, but because of his athleticism and the fact that he was able to at least get over the screen in time, he recovered back and got a block um, at the rim and he at least deflected the shot. I mean, he, he does things with his athleticism. I think that's going to help him, especially on ball. And even with them switching, because the league is going towards switching and switching is an opportunity for you as a defender to lock in at the point of attack. That's your chance to play one-on-one, take you know ownership of that assignment. And he's actually one of the better isolation defenders on the team. And I'll just read you the stats right, right now. This is per synergy. There's probably been more possessions that have not been counted properly. But out of 21 isolation possessions, he's only given up 13 points, which is 85th percentile in the league defensively. I mean, he, he's doing things that are good, that are, that are promising. Yes, he makes mistakes. I don't think those mistakes are a lack of effort. I think, as Adam talked about, they're just from the lack of it. He's, he's learning where he needs to be in NBA defense. He's learning how to play summer league. You know, they, 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 and I, maybe uh, Dacian can help, help with this, or he was on. I don't know if he got off. But, you know, the, during, during the summer league, they had about two or three types of defenses. And, you know, they're slowly teaching him how to be able to do this, this specific type of things, how to close out effectively, how to navigate around screens. Okay, if you get lost around the screen, what do you do? Those are things that for a 19-year-old, especially with his frame that he's growing with, it's going to take some time to do. So I, 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 I get the frustration with his defense. I understand why you would say that it's based off of historical evidence with other players. But I think for him, he's shown so much promise to me, especially these last few weeks, that I would probably not go for that type of trade. And, and let me just add really quick yeah. too. It, it is it is very dangerous to say that a 19 year old can't do something because again they're 19 and they're just learning how to play and they're just learning basically their bodies and how to to do certain things. And so when you start saying that a guy who's absurdly talented just can't do something, it's going to come back and bite you a lot of times. So just be careful with saying that some that a player can't do something at this stage of his career. I just think it's really, there's not a lot of evidence around the NBA of guys that are 6'4 that are really, really game-changing and good defenders. And if you can get that guy, like I said, I'm talking about Chad Holmgren here, that could be a game-changing defender. You know, the same way Rudy Gobert changes the defense for Utah or DeAndre Ayton or, you know, Anthony Davis, all these guys, the, the big guys, the Evan Mobleys, all of them, turn you into a playoff contender. If you have Zach Levine, like someone's talking about, you're not a playoff contender by yourself. It took Zach Levine, it took going out and getting um, a big man from Orlando and getting DeMar DeRozan and, and getting Lonzo Ball and putting a lot of really good players around him. But if you have a, a guy with size, all of a sudden that changes everything. And, I, you know, the, the odds that Jalen Green is going to be that guy that's going to, be, you know, a top 10 guy that's going to put you in the playoffs every year aren't that good. And to miss out, miss out on that opportunity. And I love Jaden Ivey too. But again, when you're, when you're that size, it, 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 it makes it a little bit harder. It's the, the slope is a little bit more difficult. And look, size matters in the NBA. We can always, we, we can talk about, you know, a lot of different things, but 
when it's all said and done, you know, start going down your list of the contenders and they've got a really, really good big guy. And if you don't get in the top three in this draft, I don't think there's a really good big guy, but you got a chance if you trade up and you, and you go get that guy and you've got the collateral to do it now. Yeah, it's just too much for me. I, I still wouldn't do it. It's it's like, and I again, like I I think I think uh, Jalen Green has the potential to be a very like a high caliber scorer in the NBA, as I said. And, and uh, Zach Levine is one comp, but there are other comps out there. And the defense that was always factored into my evaluation of, of him as a player. I, I never thought he was going to be a good defender. I thought he was going to be at best average. And like I still I still think he's going to be an All Star. Like I, even with all that consideration. Uh, put into it like I think and I'm I'm high on Chet Holmgren too it's just you're talking about trading two like top four picks for the possibility to take him and I probably would not do that and I I'm probably higher on last year's draft than I am this year's draft even as much as I like uh, the top of this year's draft all right let's go uh, Neil Teibel thank you so much for letting me ask this uh, this question um my question was actually First, I wanted to ask Adam about uh, the article. Why do you think or the uh, tweet you sent out? Why uh, Why do you think Minnesota should pursue Eric Gordon, and what could we get back for him? That would be my first question. I have a second one, but that's about the vets. But first, so, I wanna, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so so I kind of identified Minnesota, and, and they kind of just when I was going through it uh, yesterday, it kind of struck me. Um, first of all, they have an, an interim GM. They have new ownership, and they've made the playoffs once since twenty since two thousand four. So they're they're kind of in that group of teams that probably needs to make some sort of a run, and they basically bring back their entire roster next season. And I think Gordon fits perfectly with that group, and then you get him next year. And let's be honest, Minnesota is not a free agent destination, so you're basically throwing Gordon into you're so you're basically just adding Gordon in free agency uh, a few months early. That's why I thought that they should be in the mix for him because I don't think that they would be able to add someone of his caliber in free agency this summer. And they've got kind of an opportunity with their roster where uh, they've got a chance to make some sort of a playoff run, which they have not done there in a very, very long time. And they have the playing time to give him like Patrick Beverly is someone that would be an upgrade. I mean, he would be an upgrade over Patrick Beverly in a heartbeat. Sure. And Pat's a free agent too after the season. That's the that's really their one rotation guy who is not signed for next year. Yeah. Thanks. And um, my second question is about our vets. What do you think the the trade value right now is for um, uh, like guys like Nawaba and Tice? Because we heard because I heard a rumor like I saw a rumor for the Celtics wanted Tice back, which is ironic because they traded him for Mo Wagner a couple of years back. But um, I, I was interested to hear what our vets like Nawaba and Tice, their value is. I would say their values are probably at rock bottom right now because they haven't been playing. Uh, and they're on long-term deals that teams might be hesitant in touching. So I would probably say the most you can get back for either of them is probably a second-round pick, which is probably why I would not move them unless they're part of a larger trade. If, if they're part of a larger trade that gets you a great first round pick, then maybe I'd do it. But like, if they're just a singular, if it's just a singular trade where you're, you're getting a second round pick, well, you can do that again next year or the year after they're locked into long-term deals. So I probably say that's probably what you're looking at for both those two. Thank you very much uh, for the uh, opportunity. Let me just add to that. If, if they basically get an offer 
um, for Tice or for Nawaba. You can throw Augustine and Armani Brooks into that into, into that category as well. If they get an offer where basically uh, they can get off those contracts without having to take back money, I think they'd probably do it, to be honest with you. Um, I, that's kind of what I think that you would be looking for in that type of a trade. You're talking like uh, maybe a one- or two-year deal um, and, and a second-round pick, that kind of a trade. I'm, I'm saying if, like, Tice for a second-round pick would be... No, I mean, it, yeah, what I'm saying is the contract is one or two years, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You're getting basically. off of it. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Or, or even an expiring. Yeah, that's, that, that is interesting. Um, they would they would then have a ton of space in 2022 because you're opening up another $8 million. Uh, yeah, so, so basically you're not looking at, you're not necessarily acquiring an asset, but you're clearing out a little bit of space. And you're clearing, and you're also, what's important, especially for a teammate where, with where they're at, you're clearing out a roster spot for maybe somebody that you like who's out there in the G League right now who you can maybe develop. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I. I mean, that's, uh, another way to think about it is they could probably take a gamble on somebody that was picked in the first round, probably isn't playing that much right now for another team. Um, you know, and you could probably get that guy uh, if that team is willing to offer offer him up for like Daniel Tice or David Nwaba. They they really need someone to play. Um, that might be the kind of deal you look at. Uh, where I'd be probably more receptive to that kind of a trade than a second round pick. All right, um, let's let's go um, Rockets Daily. Uh, hello, can y'all hear me? Yep. Okay, so I'm going to first talk about uh, the trade deadline and who I think would most likely get traded. So I would start off with saying Augustine. And, like, um, I feel like he's he's a good veteran. He's been helping us out on the floor. But he's just not, he's not getting as much minutes. He's, like, not that consistent. So I would say I would put him on that trade deadline and add Tice. Um, I don't think he's contributing as much to the team. And he's also not getting as much minutes because we're putting mostly our main starting five. Um, and I would say Nawaba too. I would put him there because he wouldn't, he's, he's also, it's mostly on minutes and how they're, they're just sitting on the bench. They're just sitting there. We want players that could actually contribute in the bench, like uh, Josh Christopher. He has a lot of potential. He's showing up nights like like we were down, like I think last game. He came up off bench, dropped like 23. It was amazing. And, that, and that's what we would like to see in the improvement of the team. And how KPJ is also, KPJ is doing pretty good. But it's, I'm going to talk about this too, KPJ and Jalen. It's kind of hard for them both to be good at one night. Like you'll have, we had uh, Jalen play like good one night, and we had KPJ go down there. So he, it's it's hard for them to play together. But I feel like they can work together and do pretty good in the team. And um, lastly, I'm also gonna add on. What what do y'all think about the Harden news? And like, what do y'all think he's gonna? do for the deadline uh what was the first question sorry i missed that um, he, was, he was making a point more than anything yeah more of a point hey, hey yeah. guys i gotta i gotta hop off the fans mailbag but i'll, I'll be back all right okay all right Bye, kelly all right um yeah as far as the hardened news uh it's 
it's something I'm sure the Rockets are monitoring, right? Because they own the Nets pick. Uh, I mean, the Nets future first round picks for the next few, you know few years. But as far as like like, do I think a trade's actually going to happen? I would probably say Sean Marks holds his ground and doesn't do that deal. I think they they'd rather have Harden going into the playoffs than Ben Simmons. Um, and it's hard to argue with that. I, you know, even if they, even if they aren't liking what they're getting from Harden right now, and if they're worried about if, about potentially him being a flight risk, I, it's still worth having Harden come for this coming postseason more than having Ben Simmons locked in long term. I'd, I'd probably still have Harden. Yeah, I'd be surprised if anything happens with that. It'd be it'd be really fun if it did, but uh, I wouldn't expect it. I, I I'm I will be fascinated for the. The James Harden free agency sweepstakes, though, because I do think that's something that's coming. You guys think Ben? You think I think Ben Simmons is gonna get traded? Like, you you think Daryl holds his ground, or you think he's gonna you think he's gonna get traded? I don't think he gets traded. I Daryl's so stubborn, <laughs> so it's kind of like the stubbornness of Daryl Morey. What wins out? I if I would probably if it were me, I would try and trade him because Joel Embiid has been awesome, and I would just be he's been the MVP. Yeah, I, I I would not want to waste that, and they need somebody. So I I feel I would feel to Embiid that I, that I, I'd almost feel like I owe it to Embiid to do something because I do know if if Daryl were here back in Houston and still had Harden, he would feel like he owed it to Harden to go out and do something with that spot to give Harden a chance to win a championship. So I feel like he should do the same thing for Embiid. Uh, real quick, I want to touch on this before we get back to listener questions. Let's talk about John Wall. So. I largely believe, talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I I largely believe he has no market. Like I I've, I've I've said that all year. I think this is going to result in a buyout. And I think after the February trade deadline, I believe that's probably when Houston, or at least you know John Wall's camp, just goes to Houston and asks for a buyout. Uh, and I, as of this moment, I'm looking and I, people keep proposing this Lakers John Wall for Westbrook swap. I don't see the motivation in, it, especially if they're giving that 2027 first round pick. I think that first round pick is going to be great. Like I, I like LeBron is going to be 42 years old that season that that first round pick conveys. And um, Anthony Davis is going to be, you know, in his early thirties, mid mid thirties, actually. And there's a potential that pick could be in the lottery. Like I, I would not trade that for just a one for one swap. I mean, what do you guys think? You guys think there's a market there? You're saying you're saying trade John Wall straight up for Russell Westbrook? No, I'm not saying the Rockets do that. I'm saying, would you? Do you think the the Lakers even entertain that? I I probably don't think they do. I I actually do not see the Lakers trading Russell Westbrook, despite everything that happened. Um, not only because I don't think there's really a market for him, but because I think they legitimately want to make it work based off of what happened this offseason and then putting it all together. I just don't see them doing it, even though um, if there is a way to improve the team, it's going to have to go through Russ in that 2027 first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. What do you think, Adam? I, I don't see anything happening. And I think that it would... If, if they did the wall for Westbrook trade, I think it just that would just turn into an ugly situation where... Um, I don't think that the Rock the Rockets made an arrangement with Wall, and I think it would be difficult to come up with the same sort of arrangement with Westbrook. And I just I think that they should try to avoid that situation as much as possible. I just I don't think that it would end well for the organization. I don't think it would end well for anyone if they traded for Westbrook and 
couldn't agree to any sort of a buyout with him. It just, I just think it would get messy. So I would, if I'm them, I would avoid it. Unless, yeah. you, unless you come up with something with Westbrook before the trade and you can come to, come to some sort of an agreement, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I would do it if, in a heartbeat if that 2027 pick was on the table. In a heartbeat, but I don't think it is. That, that That's what I'll say. I, I, just, I just don't. I think what what's more likely is they they shop around that 2027 pick along with their paltry uh, Taylor Horton Tucker package uh, and and try to find a different trade. I think uh, and they probably hang on to Westbrook. Yeah. Who's yeah. next, Adam? Uh, let's do gift to Texans. Texans. Texan vision. Uh, how y'all doing, folks? Good. Hey, man. This is not the Lovey Smith. The coming head coach space. I'm just messing with you. Go what's up? What, what you got for us? I just want to know uh, what everyone think that we're too old to grow with with Green and KPJ. Like I don't understand. I don't get that because I look at Memphis. John Moran is what 22 years old, and I don't I don't understand why they think that. Wood is too old to grow with them. I mean, the Rockets will be in contention in like two or three years. So I don't, I don't get that. Could y'all answer that for me? Did you repeat the first part of the question for me? I, I, it seemed to cut out for me. Why do people think that Wood is too old to grow with um, Jalen Green? Are you asking why the fans think that or why we think that? Well, fans, whoever. Yeah, I mean, he's 26 right now, and going into next season, he's going to be 27 on the last year of his deal. I think it's more to do with this deal more than anything. It's it's the fact that you don't want to pay Christian Wood, right? Like, that that's that's where the hesitancy lies more than anything. The age is obviously part of it. I'm not going to pretend like it's not, right? Like, he's it's going to be difficult for him to be in his mid-30s and competing when the Rockets are in their mid-20s. But as far as, like, you know, his... The reason to trade Christian Wood, it has to do with being reluctant to trade to pay him. That's like the primary reason. I don't know what you guys think about it. No, for, for me, I, 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 I'm still pretty high on Christian. I know um, with all that's happened, I, I still think you give him a shot at him, which is why I'm eager to continue to see what happens with him and Alperin, how he continues to play with the young guys they have now. But ultimately, like Solomon said, it still comes down to the contract. You're paying him that pretty modest contract right now. Are you willing to pay him a max contract of five years? That, that That's something you have to think about this. When he gets that contract, when that contract finishes, he'll be 32, 33 years old. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you do that spell. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that the max deal for Wood is not something that I would want to do. And that's what makes his situation difficult because – you can't extend him really because the extent, if you were to extend him this season, it may be due two years, which you wouldn't do two years anyways, but it, 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 that would be more amenable organizationally. The money just, you, you couldn't do, you couldn't do enough of a raise for him to want to do that. So yeah, I, I would be very hesitant to pay someone who's going to be, you know, into his thirties, a max deal, because as we've seen, those don't always end well. And so I think that's the biggest hesitation with Wood at this point. If Wood were if Wood were signed for the next three years, I think the equation is a lot different with him. And then I think that you are thinking that he is someone who is part of the long-term future. But with the contract coming up and with his age being what it is at this point uh, and knowing that you'd have to pay him into his 30s, I think that's where people are hesitant. 
And, and I, I still want to make a point. You still have until 2023. And we've talked about this previously when the timeline question came up. Of what is the Rockets' timeline? They want to have as much flexibility as they possibly can for 2023. And if Christian Wood continues to play, and they see that he can be that kind of a foundational piece for the future, you know, I, I don't, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. But there's a lot of what ifs left. And as, as so far in his first year and a half here in Houston, I just do not see a reason to pay him max money, a five-year deal, and kind of take away a certain percentage of your cap space towards a big. Yeah, and I'll say this, no matter what happens, like signing him outright with cap space is going to be a last-case scenario if I'm Houston. Like, I'd rather wait till I'm an over-the-cap team and then re-sign him. Like, that's because I have the affordability of having his bird rights. Like, that's, I would def, that's definitely something I'd be hesitant to do at all, using any cap space in 2023. Okay, I would I, I would uh, sign him. I would definitely sign him because I don't think there's five centers in the league that can do what he do at, at that young age. Yeah, and I, the, I definitely would sign him. The, the talent is is off the charts, and I don't think that anyone would deny the talent is there. I, I think the one thing that you need to see from him is the maturity and the consistency. If he can show you that, then I think the equation changes a little bit and the the outlook changes. And I think yeah. that's why the next 30 games or however however many games they have left, I think that's what's really important for him is to show the maturity, show the consistency day in, day out, do your work on and off the court. So you spoke, spoke was right. When Solomon and I did a podcast after last season or towards the end, we were talking about Christian and I had goals for him going to the off season into next year. And I remember two of my goals were consistency and durability. Well, he's shown me durability this season. You know, he's he's done a good job of that. What I am still concerned about is the consistency. On a night when you're not shooting well, can you continue to make an elite impact defensively? Can you be a rim protector? Can you stay in front of your man defensively and be a good switch defender? Can you play help side defense when you have Shingun um, as that five? You know, all, all those questions are things I want answered over the over the rest of the season to see. You know, is can he be that type of consistent player? Because durability is there. But if he can have consistency, then he has a better chance of getting to where he's been saying he wants to get to, which is becoming an all-star player. Okay, can, can I push back on that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I understand the defense the defense aspect, but the Rockets have no guards that can keep their man in front of them. If you look at the Rockets' defense, their guards are getting beat off the dribble mm-hmm. every every second, every chance, every time up the court. They, go, they cannot keep a, a, a guard in front of them for no for nothing. They need defensive guards and the Rockets have no like uh Herb Jones. I can see them trading for Herb Jones. The Rockets have no guards and if it, whatever center that you get with the Rockets guards that your center gonna fall out the game every night because they can't keep their man in front of them. So I think that it's two things. The Rockets need a real true point guard for one thing. They need a real true point guard, and, and Christian Wood can average 25 and 10, guys, with a real true point guard. He did it with James Harden. So I don't see why he can't do it with a real true point guard. And and, and, and another thing, the big elephant in the room is Stephen Silas, how he play, how he plays um Christian Wood. He 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 badly playing, he'll keep him out the whole quarter. He'll keep him out, he'll put him back in. Three four minutes in the in the in, in the second quarter, 
uh, the fourth quarter, he'll bring it back in five minutes. It's like the elephant in the room is, uh, is silence and a true point guard. And Wood is a hell of a player. And I think that he's getting a bad rap because the Rockets don't have the guards to keep their man in front of them. Yeah, we'll see. Listen, uh, Adam, we got to wrap this stuff up. Like, I got I to edit this podcast. Right now, we're going into two and a half hours. It's going to be a pain in the ass to edit. So let's try getting this done within the next 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, but, yeah but we've got uh, four people who have requested. So um, we'll, we'll try and get to all four of you, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So let's go uh, DJ Steve-O. All right, thanks for having me on. I know you guys are uh, having the space, but thanks for doing this and allowing Rockets Twitter to go ahead and speak. Um, I want to commend you guys for keeping a straight face when the guy said uh, give up Jalen in a first-round pick. I know that was tough, but uh, I don't think the franchise is going to do that anytime soon. But um, I think that from this trade deadline, I think one of the main targets that I was looking at, well, main things that I think that should be the goals for the Rockets is obviously sending Eric Gordon to a team such as like a team that can use his, use his talents as like if it's the Phoenix Suns, um, garner back a first round pick because what we saw from the Levert trade, you can easily get some talent and uh, some assets from Eric Gordon, who's one of the best shooters in the league right now. And I think that another goal for this trade deadline is obviously um, the elephant in the room. I know you guys have talked about it today in this space. I don't want to harp on it too much. Christian Wood. I think I'm one of the guys who feels as if like Christian Wood should be traded. And I think Christian Wood is an elite player, elite talent. He has a talent of. Um, one of the better skilled offensive big men in today's game. I just think that in the situation that the Rockets are in right now, it's just we can't focus too much on his skill set and you have to develop the entire team in a in a basic gist. But I think that's one of their goals that they should do. And I think one thing too is that when we get to after the trade deadline, I want to see guys like Daisha and Knicks get pulled up. And I want to say, like, if since you guys are like, you know, beat riders, you guys are um Definitely guys who follow the team a lot. Is there anything you can say about Dacia Nix and his work ethic or what he's trying to do or um, just any insight that you have on him? Because I've seen him in some highlights and some clips. I haven't looked at his G League uh, tapes like that, but any type of insight of um, like what he's doing. Yeah, so on Knicks, uh, I do think that regardless of what happens with Gordon, I think that you'll see him up in the NBA, and I think that he'll wind up getting NBA minutes uh, when we get towards the later stages of the season. I think that you'll see if Gordon remains on the roster, which I think, as we talked about earlier, I think that he will remain on the roster. Uh, I, I think that they'll probably load manage him a little bit. And the one thing, the Rockets have some back-to-backs coming up. They haven't had a back-to-back in over a month and. I think that you'll see them sit Gordon uh, for at least you know one game of a, of a back-to-back. So I do think that you'll see Knicks uh, get a chance at, at the NBA level, and then he'll certainly, I think, be part of their plans once you get into the summer and the offseason in summer league, and he'll certainly get a chance to earn, earn a spot um, uh, in training camp next year. Uh, I think he works hard. And I think that's the one thing that you can say about all their guys is that they're in the gym constantly, and I think that they're really pleased with what they've seen out of Knicks in the G League. Yeah, Coach Abdul Fattah has mentioned many times that Knicks is one of the leaders of that team and that he's really worked hard. And I know a hard worker is seen as a cliche or somebody who's, you know, worked on their game, but he's really worked on his game with the coaching staff there. Coach Abdul Fattah is really great at working with young guards in particular and helping them make better reads offensively and play in terms of the style they have to play uh, defensively, a lot of people don't give him credit for the way Ke- Kevin Porter Jr. has developed as a point guard. I know KPJ 
Um, you know, he's made a lot of strides this season, but last season when he was first learning how to play point guard, it was coach Abdul Fadad in, in, in the NBA G League bubble who really got him going in that in that area. And you're seeing that as with Knicks as well. And just Knicks with his body as well, he's done a great job of kind of molding his body into being a great point guard. It's a great NBA body. I don't I I I do see um a lot of potential for Nation Knicks. I just think he's gonna need playing time just as well we saw with the other Rockets rookies they have now. But that is definitely somebody that the Rockets hit uh, well on, um, undrafted, bringing him in, allowing him to play with the summer league, allowing him play. Now with the G League, he's in their system. He's with their coaching staff. He's on a two-way deal. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me um, if they're able to open up a roster spot, if he's able to come up uh, onto the onto the, uh, onto the the roster, um, just based off of roster availability um, after the trade deadline. So, All right, let's go Hassan Amani. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. Love to see the diversity we have in our Houston sports media. Um, also, I see Ryan Holland on here. Thank you so much for bringing an energy to the Rockets broadcasting booth that we've needed. Sometimes it's hard to watch a young team, but you've made this season so much fun, so thank you for that. Two quick hit questions. One, around Shangun. We all want to see him. He's a highlight reel every night. He does something unbelievable every game. Does he just not fit into the Silas system? I see sometimes his minutes are up, sometimes they're down. Sometimes he gets two shots a game. Sometimes he doesn't get any. Like, why are we not really seeing him, his game translate? And then the second question, quick hit, y'all can just answer him back to back, is are there any sleeper teams that we're going to see in the next two days on Twitter that we just haven't heard of? Like, how fancy is Rathstone going to get this, you know, trade deadline? Uh, I brought up Minnesota as a possibility just because they're kind of positioned to make a run for the first time in a while. And they're safe when it comes to the luxury tax uh, next season. I think they're right on the edge of it this year, but next season uh, they've got a bunch of space. On on Shingun, you're seeing the minutes go up. I know the the, the Shingun minutes have been a big thing all throughout the, the course of the season, but you saw him start uh, last night's game. My guess is he will start again uh, the game tomorrow. And they really want to try and make the the duo with him and Wood work over the course of the rest of the season. And so that's only going to increase his minutes as well. I mean, they were playing just the one big for a lot of the season. And when Christian Wood is the other big, Wood is going to get a lot of those minutes. So you're seeing his minutes start to go up. And I think that he will that will continue. I do think that they definitely see him as part of the future. And remember, um, Stephen Silas was not a coach who liked post-ups. They did not like to run a lot of post-ups. They rarely did it last year, and they've had that in the offense where they are posting up a whole lot more this season than they were in the past. So you are seeing them change the offense for Shingun. So I certainly think the coaching staff loves him, and he is a lot further along than they thought that he would be when they drafted him back in July. Hudson, just a quick point because I agree with everything Adam said. Uh, when I was first getting into the type of offense that I, just, that I thought Steven Stiles would run when he was first hired, um, a scout pointed me out to the Milwaukee's offense in terms of how they space the floor and how they kind of run their spread actions and just how, how they're so spread out on the floor. And so when I'm looking at the way Shangun plays and the way that Stevens has, has adapted to his offense, it's night and day different from what kind of Milwaukee has tried to run. And so I, I don't necessarily agree if, if that's what you've heard, like, you know, he doesn't fit into um, Steven Salas' offense. I just more so think they're learning what he's good at. They're running what spots on the floor that he's going to be successful in. And they're letting him operate. They're giving him the ball at the top of the key or at the high post 
running split actions, running all these different types of side-to-side movements with him kind of being that focal point there. And so I, I think it's just going to take a little bit more time. All these guys are young. All these guys are learning to play with each other. So obviously the offense isn't going to be as crisp. They don't have the same variability or layers that you would like. So just give it a little bit more time, and I think we'll see um, some good results. Yeah, what's okay. ironic is I actually think Shangun fits Silas's offense perfectly because what he wants to do is ball and body movement. And Shengu, no player on the Rockets roster epitomizes that more than Alper and Shengu. Maybe Jalen Green because he likes to run around screens a lot. But Shengun is like a perfect facilitator for that kind of an offense, uh, putting him at the top of the key. You know, maybe the post-ups aren't, you know, the best fit into his offense, as you mentioned, uh, Spo. But like as far as like all the other, the passing, like it's if they were to feature him a little bit more, I think he would be a perfect part of their offense. I think the trouble with him is obviously he's playing behind a guy who's probably the best player on the team, Christian Wood, right? Uh, and that it's it's tough. Like, what do you what do you do? You you have you have to play you have to play both guys, and you don't want to play Christian Wood less than thirty minutes a game. So you have to get him well, what your your fifteen minutes a game at backup center and like. I guess the big question for the remainder of the season is how much does Steven Silas want to play those two together um, to close it out? Because it's pretty clear Wood's going to be on the roster past the trade deadline. So um, I want to see how they incorporate those two into the offense uh, to close the season out. Defensively, it's going to be a work in progress. I'm not sure how I feel about them about, about him at power forward. Um, I think that's going to be something to watch obviously i think i think positionally as a rim protector he has the potential to be average and i think that's um that's a plus as for as far as him playing center in the future i don't see him as a power forward um but we'll see all right let's do uh kmart's back hey guys um i, wa- I wanted to talk about like the forgotten rookie isman garuba and how like before the draft like what did the rockets think of him would they see him as like a play now player or like as a project because he hasn't been getting like any minutes like i know he's injured right now but he's recovering but like before he was injured he was like in and out of the g league and and like um yeah he wasn't getting any minutes even though like uh even though like wood was probably like injured like in a couple of those games where he was like in the rockets bench but yeah What's up? Yeah, this is the last question, by the way. But go ahead. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I just wanted to ask about him. Um, I can answer this. Um, when when they drafted him, Rafael Stone said that he was the best defensive player who wasn't in the NBA. But with that being said, they knew the offensive stuff was going to be a work in progress, and he was going to be a project. So, um. The plan was always going to be for him to be in the G League this year, and the plan was always going to be, you know, they would he would get, you know, a few minutes here, a few minutes there in the NBA, and just unfortunately he got hurt. But I, I do know that um, Josh Christopher had talked about how much of a of a grinder he is, and that they met meshed well uh, the the short amount of time that Christopher was in the G League. They like him. They they still certainly see him a part of the organization, and it's just going to be about getting healthy, and he will. You'll see him at summer league. You'll see him during training camp, and I, I do think that you will uh, you'll certainly see him part of the organization moving forward. Yeah, he's he's more of a project than I thought he was going to be offensively. I think what I want to see from him developmentally wise is 
can he be a screen and dive guy as a center or can or can he become like a wing type where he's spacing the floor a little bit more like he offensively those are the two big skills that he needs to develop obviously to be a, a useful player because right now there's just nothing he, he just can't do anything right now he's as an offensive player all he can do is pretty much dunk when he's right open for a, a lob right and I, i'd like to see him grow in that area defensively he is uh he has the potential to be really special and when you look at the Rockets' front court, there's not a lot of high-level defenders there. So Garuba is someone that could complement those guys in the future, but it's going to take some time. Deacon, you want to say anything? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Just, oh, he can go. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, when it comes to Garuba, um, for me, I want to see him how, how well he can get uh, or how much better he can get playing in space defensively. Um, even in the minutes he played, I think it just just may have may have to do more with the speed of the game um, at the NBA level. But I just want to see him play better in space um, on switches. He's done a good job of that in the G League. Um, he's shown how athletic and how great his wingspan can be as a weapon defensively. But just just for me defensively, there are still some question marks, which I think will be answered when he gets more playing time. But offensively, just like someone said. Being a screen and dive guy, somebody you can kind of slip on the roll, catch and pass or catch and finish. Those are the qualities that are going to let him get playing time. Because as of right now, you know, I, I just don't, even if he was healthy and all things considered, I just don't see him even getting minutes. Yeah, same. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. And he, it's okay if he's in the G League for a while, uh, as long as the final product that the Rockets want to put on the floor is a good player. Uh, and I thought where they got him in the draft was a steal, but obviously it looks like more of a project than I anticipated. Um, any closing thoughts before we had, before I close these things out here, Adam? No, this, this was, this was really fun. Thank you for everyone who, who listened. Thank you to everyone who participated. I've seen a lot of you have been on here uh, really for the full two and a half hours. So really appreciate it. Glad, hope you guys enjoyed this and this might be something that we have to do again at another point. Yeah, same. I, I, I enjoyed this. I really like the fan interaction. I, I've seen, on the other spaces, how people don't like <laughs> just the blue check marks talking all the time. So it's always good to, you know, hear perspectives from different individuals. Because I can't control uh, that's that. Important. What, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to trade my blue check mark away? I, what, what, <laughs> I, I can't do anything about that. No, I, I don't. I just think the I think people just like the acknowledgement that you know we're willing to have a two way conversation and bring people up for discussion. So if something happens. Trade deadline wise for the Rockets, maybe we'll do something again. But thanks for thanks for joining us, guys. Really, it was fun. And I know there's there's a couple of you who we didn't get to. Sorry about that. We ran actually about thirty minutes longer than we anticipated. But um, again, if if we do this again, we'll be sure to get you in uh, the next time we do this. And actually, if you guys want to tweet your question to me, that's totally fine. I'll answer it through a tweet. Uh, Far West and HK, I, I can answer that whatever question you guys want. Tag all three of us, and we can answer it. Um, but yeah, I, this was a great space. I enjoyed it. Uh, probably in the future, we're going to probably try to put a cap on it before it gets to the two-hour mark. Uh, this was a bit lengthy, but I did enjoy the conversation and interacting with fans. I've never done that before. I've never talked uh, to so many fans at once, and that was an interesting experience. I loved you guys' insight. Um, and this was obviously new for us as a show. We've never done a live podcast before, so... Uh, you know, if you guys enjoyed it, we'll do more in the future. And uh, hopefully you guys uh, had fun here. Uh, I'll try to get the podcast uploaded if there are no technical issues. I'm really worried about the audio recording. I'm trusting Twitter's audio recorder on the Twitter space. Uh, but I've 
you know, hopefully it goes through so people who did not get the chance to listen to the whole thing or catch it live at all can listen to it. Good night, guys.